0: Welcome to Enter VR, the podcast where we talk about everything virtual reality. I am your host, Chris Miranda, and today I am joined by uh, the elusive uh, James Elif and uh, Nathan. You're gonna have to help me with your last name, sir.
1: It's Berba. Yeah, you pronounce it
2: Berba. Awesome. Berbs. Nice. I like that he last name. He also goes by Berbtastic. <laughs> if you want to go, there's a lot of nicknames.
0: So Nathan Burba and James Aliff, you guys are both from uh, Servios, I believe, and uh, formerly known as Project Holodeck. Yes, Servios. Servios. Project Holodeck. Thank you. So, yeah. uh, so so Servios, um, let's get let's get this going. How did it come about? What what's uh, g- give me you know the origin story.
2: Oh, the origin story. Um, well, it is a pretty epic history indeed. Uh, let's see. Well, it started way back in March 2012. Um, that's probably, that's usually the date uh, we subscribe to the origin, sort of like the whole beginning of this movement. But what happened was Nathan and I were working in this place called the MXR Lab, which is a, basically it's a research facility that's part US military, part USC. So we were at the University of California. We're, we're both in the interactive media program there. And we're doing lots of cool projects so Nathan was working on, some connect stuff back then, and I was doing a a virtual reality project with uh, a motion capture stage. And um, we are also working with uh, Palmer Lucky. He was our colleague there. And essentially what happened was we we basically met up at this virtual reality conference called the IEEE VR conference in Orange County back in in March. And we realized that there's always really cool demos there, but the HMDs were super expensive. They are like $40,000 a piece and they were really like low field of view. And um, we also realized that the mocap stages were awesome because you could put on a mocap suit and have sort of like trackers all of your body and you could experience full avatar embodiment, but that was also like $200,000, $200,000 to have a setup like that. So we were trying to like rack our brains about how we could make a system that was really cheap, you know, essentially like less than a thousand bucks, anybody could make it, right? Um, And Palmer at the time was working on this new prototype uh, at home, you know, outside of the MXR lab, he was working on a new prototype uh, that he called the Rift. And he wanted to integrate the Rift with motion controls. And that's what we were really into was motion controls. And so we decided to start this project called Project Holodeck um, and basically create full motion VR games for a system that has motion controls and a wide field of view head mount and It was super like prototypey and it was really bare bones, but we we sort of we 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 hit it off. And then in April we pitched this idea to the USC Games program mm-hmm. and said we want to make a you know a full fledged game with Razer Hydra controllers, um, a PS Move uh, to track your head, and in uh, and Palmer's new prototype. And they were like awesome, that was great. And at that meeting actually was one of our professors, uh, Laird
1: Malinad. Yeah, Laird. Both Laird and Palmer were at that meeting showing a very early head mounted display this is before the oculus rift to the people at that meeting and Laird was actually one of the, the judges for the project right so that was like what
2: eight months nine months before Palmer ended up hiring Laird as their chief operating officer um, so it's sort of like it's all in the family kind of thing it's like really early going um, and so yeah we actually introduced Palmer to Laird like way back least, then oh, yeah. um, that was Laird's first uh um sort of experience with what Power was working on. So it was really cool to kind of get everybody together. And so we launched Project Holodeck around April. And at the same time, um, John Carmack reached out to Palmer and said, hey, I saw this really cool stuff on the MTBS 3D forums. I'd really love to check out your prototype. And Palmer's like, well, I only have one, but you're John Carmack. So here you go. And he just like, <laughs> sends it off to him. <laughs> And uh, and you know you can't really blame him like if John Carmack comes out of nowhere and says I want to see your work and all you have is this one thing you're just gonna you're just gonna give it to the guy so he did and Palmer spent two or not Palmer uh, John Carmack spent two weeks integrating that prototype with uh, like the Doom three uh, I don't know if it was the VFP edition I think it may have just been the normal Doom three but he's he was the one who created the original pre warping code that worked with Palmer's prototype. It was the there's a Rage engine. He yeah. A a rage Engine. Something um and then you know it kind of all went from there like john carmack was like hey i want to take this e3 and show it off at the doom 3 booth and this was e3 2012 and Palmer was starting this kickstarter that was originally going to be like a really small grassroots kickstarter of like 100 units and um then of course that blew up so e3 basically made the rift kind of take over the industry in a way because it got a lot of press attention i think it actually won Best in show at E3 that year, even though it was just a bare bones prototype. Um, so it was really making waves. And then that's when Palmer met the team from Gaikai uh, when Gaikai was bought by Sony. Um, the executive team from Gaikai uh, left and met Palmer, and that's uh, that's uh, Brendan and Nathan and all those guys and Mike Lantz not there, Chief Software Architect. Um, they met up with Palmer and said, "We love this thing. Let's let's turn this into a business and let's make this into a product." And then they launched a Kickstarter. Um, and then you know even still like when you watch a Kickstarter to this day it's just incredible like like the people they got together to support it and it was just this amazing moment and then you know right around I think it was August or September of 2012 that's when the Kickstarter went up and it just exploded um, and so you know so now like you know they got 40,000 units out in the wild
3: and uh, it's been a huge huge running success story uh, with Oculus and
2: so we, we're really stoked to have like been part of that experience um, from the beginning and kind of get an early take on where this hardware is going. Because it really enabled Nathan and I to, to build a team at USC really early on and start making um, full motion VR games before like VR gaming was really even a, an idea. Um, and so that's that's been a huge, huge, exciting moment for
3: us. Yeah, and meanwhile, so uh, you
1: know, Project Holodeck back at USC uh, we were actually working with uh, a precursor. Um, oh, yes, uh, we were working with a precursor to the Oculus Rift called the Socket Head Matter Display, which was designed by Palmer for the Mixed Reality Lab, and uh, you know, somewhat comparable. And uh, we were able to uh, mix that with uh, the PlayStation Move and the Razer Hydra, uh, along with uh, Unity and game networking and uh, laptops that you wore on your back, and kind of this this uh, system that allowed two players to. Be completely wireless uh, in virtual reality together. And we created a game for that named Wild Skies, and then another game for it named Zombies on the Holodeck. And these were the two games that we had as part of our system for Project Holodeck. And uh, in May of 2013, uh, well actually I'll I'll go back a little bit. In, I believe it was February or March of 2013 is when we first received our Oculus RIS from Palmer. So that allowed us to integrate those into the system and take out the socket head matter display. Uh, and then in May, uh, that's when we, uh, did, you know, we, we finalized the system. We demoed it for USC, and that was kind of the culmination of Project Holodeck. Uh, and then one month later, uh, June 2013 is when we incorporated as Servios to kind of continue the project in, in kind of a corporate sense to build a team and to build uh, what we believe to be the holy grail consumer product for virtual reality. Yeah, and uh, oh my God, the, the zombies game is still
2: so much fun. We actually just had a, a bunch of guys come over here from Be Real um this morning and play the new version of zombies that we made with the hd uh, oculus rift unit and <laughs> it's it's like it's crazy so much fun like um I, I really wish i could show you but uh we have like a whole new version with like all kinds of like fast zombies and it's like the new like a new uh art pass on it and it's really intense like it is really really scary we got some video footage um but there's something about it like when you have positional tracking and you can see your hands you can move around in a virtual space um you know it's it pretty much, it, it almost eliminates the simulator sickness problem for a lot of people. Um, but even more so, it's just super action oriented and you really have that sense of presence, the really strong presence that um, you can't really get with any other kind of games. It's except. the most immersive experience you can have. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's 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 definitely like, um, it's, it's sort of like a different category in its own, right? Um, you do have to have like a, a you know, a fairly sizable portion of your room dedicated to it, kind of like you would with the Kinect or something. Um, but uh, so it's not like sit down at your PC, but it's still like it's uh it's I, I think I think it's really liberating compared to most you know just a first person
0: shooter. But uh, and yeah, did you get to try our our prototype at SVBR? Is I did right? I did get I did get to try it and it was um I wanted to stay in there longer. <laughs> that was <laughs> that was my only That's... thing. Like I, I man. Cause it was uh, cause I was getting, it was getting to a point where I was like, oh, I'm getting the hang of the weapons and, and you know and, and how to you know uh how to strategize the zombies and stuff, and it was uh so much fun. I really, I really uh am looking forward to what's next, and and that leads to my, leads me to my next question. Uh, what's next for you guys? What do you, what what is what is Servio gonna do? Um, you know, uh, in conjunction with the Oculus's uh, launch, what what's what's gonna happen? What are you what are you guys thinking about the future?
2: Well, we have a top-secret project with 20 of the world's top scientists working underground, and uh, we're creating some crazy technology that we can't talk about. That's pretty much that's pretty much what's going on. <laughs> Did you say 20 top scientists? You meant 200? 200. 200 of the top scientists. Yeah. And it's like a bat cave, pretty much. Like literally, there's like a hole right in the floor that we take this ladder right down to like 40 floors below sea level, and uh, it's pretty. You know, I'll take you there sometimes it's pretty cool. So but,
0: so you guys are uh, you guys are running Manhattan Project Part Two. That's,
2: yes. Wow.
0: That's yes, awesome. pretty much.
2: We're creating an army of robots in conjunction with NASA and we're going to take over I don't know, what are we gonna take
1: over first? What, what James is trying to say is that we're making something awesome and we can't tell you that much about it.
0: <laughs> Thank you. Um, that was perfect. <laughs> And you know I was just
1: trying to be dramatic, I don't know, adding
0: like some flair. I like that. I, I, no, I like that. I'm I I I just uh there's so much anticipation coming out, you know, just with the Rift Crystal Cove and and what the consumer, you know, consumer number 1 is going to look like and and then you're dropping this this mystical wizardry <laughs> that I have no idea what it is that you're working on. I'm again, anticipate I feel like the story of the VR enthusiast is a story of anticipation and and yeah. and just yeah. waiting for uh, this awesome technology to come out, so that's cool. That's really cool. So, how how many people are working on your team right now? Um, um,
2: right now, we're in house. Uh, there's about eight employees yeah. and a few contractors, and then externally, you know, we have a team of probably I'd say 25 now, um, including a lot. There's a lot of our external agencies we are working with. Um, so it's a pretty. It's very, very, very small. Uh, very grassroots effort um, but we're all you know working 14 hour days and, and we love it and um, gotta have breaks every now and then of course but you know it's good like we're rocking and rolling it's really fun and we have a lot of different projects going on too um, the the main one of course is our is a prototype we showed at SVVR we have a lot of stuff about that on our website yeah. and we're still going to keep doing showcases as much as possible just to like because we really want to show people what full motion VR is like mm-hmm. um, in like a real space mm-hmm. And so part of what we're doing is just evangelizing that idea as well, in addition to our own projects. Um, just because I think like, that is, ultimately it's gonna be kind of like bringing Disney into your home. It's gonna be like having a theme park in your living room. Yeah. Um, so in a way it's kind of borrowing some elements from the arcade. Um, like the original idea of the arcade in the 80s and 90s was you could go to a place where you have very interactive experiences that you couldn't have anywhere else, mm-hmm. um, even with a home console. But I think we're finally getting to that point where you can have a consumer, um, you know, a whole array of consumer products where it's insanely interactive and insanely immersive, like even more so than what Motion Controls has been doing up until now. So it's going to be really interesting to see where the industry
0: is going. I'm yeah, I'm full of anticipation. At what point did you realize, for you, Nathan and, and James? At what point did you guys realize? This is this is something. This, there's something here. You know, what was you know was it the Kickstarter? Was it way back John Carmack? Uh, you know, what what well, made it?
1: To me, it was it was before it was before all of that. It was I saw the uh, the FOV to go viewer at the mixed reality lab way back in February yeah. of 2012, and I saw um, the real ease of use of, of creating a wireless head-mounted display by simply putting an iPhone in this cardboard viewer with lenses. And then I I, yeah, and I was working on the Kinect at that time. And I just, basically just had the idea of, what well, you know, put the two together. And, okay, now you're in full-body wireless virtual reality. And, you know, you throw some audio in there. And then you can see your entire body underneath and walk around. You can do it multiplayer. Yeah, it's like a smartphone. And, and yeah, it just that technology, it made me realize it was possible. It was possible to have this tremendous experience at a consumer price point, do it in your house, do it wirelessly. And then, of course, to play games with it. I mean, games were really kind of the crucial – Point, a, a piece of it, because when you start making games for something, games themselves are very, very immersive. You put games in virtual reality, which is inherently immersive, and you get something that's super immersive. And yeah. so I realized that back then, and I, I, mean, I started kind of, you know, looking around, seeing uh, who else was interested in the space. And uh, But from then on, it's always been that, that same kind of core idea of getting this holy grail experience. I don't even want to say holy grail virtual reality experience. It's just holy grail experience you can have in your house. And, and to me, I've always been, you know, for the past two years, I've been working toward that same goal.
3: Hmm.
1: Yeah, and that's how I met Nathan was at the MXR lab.
2: Um, I was working on, you know, I think like the, the moment for me uh, is a little bit different. I wasn't working with Connect stuff as much as Nate. Um, I always thought that Connect was cool, but I didn't really have the developer chops to get into it. Um, but I was back in August 2011. So this is, you know, a good two and a half, I don't know, two and a half years ago, three and a half years ago. Um, back in 2011, I was working on this project with the, um, it was essentially a phase space motion capture system, which means you put, you know, red LEDs all over your body and you can track your entire body. And then, um, I was using the, one of Palmer's really early HMD designs that he calls the PR4, I think. I think it's called the PR4, um, which is basically, it was, um, it's very wide
0: field of view. It was larger optics and it
2: put, face, uh, it put face-based LED trackers around the front of it. Um, I can send you a picture of it. It's pretty cool. It's like a it, it's like this giant golden H&D. It's like covered in gold foil. <laughs> um, and we used that with the face-based system to create um, a game. Uh, and, and it was essentially full-motion VR, but it was incredibly expensive. Like It was a huge installation. We needed at least 12 cameras. Um, but we showed it at um, a few USC events, um, in 2011 and 2012, and that's, ended up, that, that's how I ended up meeting Palmer for the first time. and Then eventually, um, I linked up with Nate, and then we all started working on Project Hall together after that.
0: What is the ultimate vision of virtual reality for you guys? I, I, I mean, you know, just speaking broadly, and 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 for servios as well. What, what do you? What do you? What's your? What's the dream? You mean like in terms of technology or
2: philosophy or science well, fiction?
0: Take me on a wild ride, sir. <laughs>
2: Well, there's a lot of different ways it could work. I mean, everyone's talking about, like, the holodeck and the matrix or whatever. And when you really boil that down, you know, um, the holodeck is you have, to have, you, have, you have to have the ability to manipulate matter in real time and create force fields and create real objects out of nothing, essentially, uh, in order to visualize the perfect holodeck. And then the matrix means you have to be able to, you know, have electrodes implanted in your brain that precisely manipulate your senses in a very controlled way. Um, and either one of those technologies could happen in the next 200 years. Um, but it might be some combination of, of the two. You know, you might have, um, augmented reality or virtual reality contacts that you wear. So your visual senses are, are perfectly manipulated, but your eye is still the middleman. It's not directly manipulating your brain. And then maybe, you know, you combine that with electrodes that, uh, enhance your sense of texture and your sense of, 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 uh, of pressure or touch. Um, so then you're directly manipulating the brain, but you know, at the same time, you're wearing headphones. So it's good old school headphones because those are, those pretty much do the job. Um, so you don't really know like how it's going to all shake out, but I think in the next two centuries or so we'll have something that's going to be near perfect representation of reality. And I say, you know, it's a long scope, but that's just my opinion. I'm not speaking for Nate, but, um, That's just my general thought is, you know, I think a lot of the futurists out there and science fiction writers out there, they have a pretty, you know, I think they have a pretty strong grasp about how long it takes for these types of technologies to develop and how many decades have to go by and different revolutions have to happen. And, you know, Star Trek had it right. Like, when was the next generation took place in? Like the 22nd century or 23rd century? Something like that, yeah. Um,
3: But, you know, right about now, I think the next 10, 20 years, we can, with the current technology we have, we're going to have something that's pretty damn close. Yeah,
1: but that's sort of like, that's sort of my thoughts. Yeah. To me, the the litmus test of virtual reality is can you act in virtual reality like you would in real life using the same uh, parameters of real life? Can you walk around? Can you look around? Can you can you uh, feel things? Can you hear things? Can you see things Can you pick things up? Can you, uh, you know, kind of take the, the same things you've learned living in reality and apply them to virtual reality? If you can do that, then the experience is usually there. And what to me, I'm really excited about using the human body in virtual reality. If you can jump, if you can duck, if you can crouch, uh, if you can walk around, if you can run. Uh, you know, imagine a virtual reality uh, experience where you know it's an entire warehouse. Where you're, you're fully trapped and you're playing, uh, you know, instead of doing a 40 man instance in World of Warcraft, you're doing a, a 40, you know, 20 versus 20 capture the flag with dragons and everyone's running around shooting, you know, fireballs at each other and, and, uh, you know, fight, having virtual sword fights across a giant battlefield. I, yeah, that's, that's epic. I don't think that's, I, I think that's, three years from now, uh, maybe, if someone, the if key is monetizing that, there's a lot of business problems with that, but from a technological standpoint, uh, someone could make that right now, if they really wanted to. Yeah,
2: I
0: mean, I'm
1: a huge fan of, like, what the
2: VRK guys are doing up in Seattle. Yeah. Uh, we were there, and we were in Seattle for Steam Dev Days last week, um, and guys, we had a lot of cool people, unfortunately, we didn't get to meet up with the VRK team, because, like, we were just, like, creating schedules, um, but, yeah, there is an emotion capture system with a Rift, and, wireless streaming to have something that is very much like that where you can go to a location like a physical location and you can have like the most super awesome immersive experience ever and i think that's like that's the coolest thing um and i hope it you know i hope it revitalizes what essentially you know the arcade was um originally where you can open up a lot of locations around the world and people will go and people will pay for that um you know when you think about it you know, movie theaters didn't always exist. Like at some point people realized that filmmaking wasn't, wasn't just this cool thing of, you know, where you could have persistence of vision and it's like, wow, it looks real. It turned out, oh my God, we can actually create something entertaining and we can have people come to us and we can show them things and they will pay for it. Um, and that's, you know, that had to be invented. That was a whole process in a whole economy that had to be invented out of nothing. And, People did it. Now we have movie theaters everywhere. So you know, I, I don't think that it's a stretch to, at all to think that um, virtual reality could become as ubiquitous as movies. I, I
0: I have so many things to say as an as a as an evangelist as an enthusiast that that will that will wind up in a, in, a, in, a, in a in an infinite circle jerk, uh, circle jerk amongst <laughs> each other. So so just to change things change things up a little bit, I'm gonna play the devil's advocate and and and, and ask you uh, a couple. Ha- quote-unquote, hardball questions. Um, All right, and we will, quote-unquote, answer them. Here we go. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> um, for someone who is just your average person, you know, um, uh, what is uh, to, what is the value of virtual reality? What, what do you think, uh, what value will the average person get from this?
2: Well, it really comes down to, at least for me, um, like what value do you have out of entertainment in general? Mm-hmm. Um, And a lot of people ask this, like when, like when you're talking to investors or business people, they say, what pain are you solving? Um, and that's a question you get a lot. And it's a question that I think is very, very simplistic. Like when you're talking about a software startup and it's like, oh, you know, I'm creating Facebook for kittens and it's awesome. And, and you say, you know, what pain are you solving? Oh, I'm solving the pain of you know, kittens not being able to socialize online, you know, it's, it's a very, it's very, a, important it's problem. A very important problem, you know, that I'm kind of like being facetious here, but, um, you see a lot of that stuff where there's businesses that it's very easy to answer the pain problem, you know, uh, and there's a lot of cool businesses that come out of that. Like, uh, some friends, like I know some guys, um, through the PR company that we work with, um, one of their clients is making a doorbell that, you know, you control with your, uh, an app on your phone hmm. and you can find out when people ring your doorbell when you're, you know, far away. And that's, you know, that's a very specific pain point that customers may have and you can solve it. Um, but with entertainment, it's different, you know, um, what pain are you solving when you play video games? Well, it's not really a very, you know, specific pain point. It's more of an existential one. It's more like, you know, I'm, bored. So I want to entertain myself for a short period. And I, maybe I want to escape from something, or maybe I want to experience something new and fresh and exciting that I couldn't have in real life. And that's not, um, you can't narrow that down to, you know, a bullet point on a, on a investor presentation, you know, it's, it's sort of like, you know, can you give the original case for creating, um, arcades or for creating the original game consoles? And that's a tough, you know, it's a tough thing to conceive of, but, Um, Following that same train of thought, you know, for the same reasons that video games and movies and other forms of entertainment um, are, you know, accepted and loved by consumers, I think VR uh, follows that same pathway of logic, but then multiply that times 100,000 or a million, and it's that much better. So I, I happen to think that VR is a superior medium, which might be a bit, you know, that also might be simplistic, and I'm very much prone to bias because, of course, we all love VR and we're super evangelistic about it. But okay. um, I think it is very much the ultimate um, sort of the, the ultimate medium that that solves a lot of uh,
1: shortcomings. So, yeah, shortcomings are reality. I'll just uh, bounce off of that. I'll, yeah. You know, uh, like Gene McGonagall's book, Reality is Broken. Uh, that's what video games do. They solve the problems of reality. Boredom is a problem of reality. There are uh, some of the uh, economic systems that build uh, that, uh, you know, the carrots and sticks in reality are okay, but they could potentially be better in a different experience. And the more immersive that experience is, the more you're able to feel those, those carrots and sticks. Sometimes when you wake up from a dream, you want to go back into the dream. You don't feel like going to your job. You don't feel like driving an hour to get there or doing the things you have to do on a daily basis. This is what entertainment does. And, and, and more in, in particular, this is what interactive entertainment does. It is better than reality. It solves some of those problems in reality. And that's basically what we're doing. We're making something that's... Cooler than reality, and people naturally want want to go there. And some people want to go there more
0: than others. I gotta tell you, it it really is an honor. Uh, I'm I'm like I'm I'm super like uh, I feel like a bit of a fanboy speaking to you guys. And and, and honestly, like I, I view you guys seriously, and you guys are like you're you're at the edge of knowledge when it comes to this 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 new industry that we I I see coming. It's it's gonna be. I feel like you know we're talking about video games, but I f- I think that for the average person, um. You know, education, tourism, uh, yeah, you know, the more casual sort of shopping, the more casual sort of experiences that are you know, perhaps mundane in the real world. Like, who the fuck wants to go to Walmart? Or who the <laughs> fuck like, let's just just go, yeah. you know, you know, do that do that thing in VR. And who? Why do I need? Why do I need to be physically at school? You just need my brain, so let me just tell you know use telepresence to yeah just, to, to go to school. And,
2: te- telepresence or VR, music. just oh, that's, that's huge. Yeah, the, you definitely had a point. There's so many applications outside of entertainment. Like we, we tend to come from the entertainment school of thought because that's that's what we focus on. But um, there's so many different ways you could use it, like way beyond just video games or or movies or entertainment. I mean. Yeah, telepresence is a big one. Being able to have like a meeting with anyone at any time in any like space and be able to simulate like anything you want. I think that's just that's one of the coolest things. Like I imagine for me, like I'm like meeting with my brother who lives in New Zealand, but we're meeting virtually and we're in like some kind of like I don't know some kind of crazy space age bar and we're floating in the middle of a galaxy somewhere. It's like you can be whatever the hell you want. Like you could do pretty much anything, and it could be that much more exciting. So, I don't know. It's basically like, you know, you could Skype with someone or you could hop into a virtual reality land with them and it's, you
1: know, it it solves a lot of problems. It's entirely different. You're getting a, a spatial sense a spatial relation to them, as opposed to, this is strictly audio-visual with Skype, but human beings are designed to kind of interact with each other in a spatial way. And that's what uh, telepresence, uh, virtual reality telepresence in particular, is going to do. So I think that's a very, very good use case. But there's a lot of different things that this can be applied to.
0: Mm-hmm. Keeping in line with, with uh, being the devil's advocate, um, uh, and the, next, the following question, I'm sure you're going to get it at your, uh, at, the, at your Fox News interview. Um, they're going to ask you, at Fox, they're going to ask you, um, what about video game addiction? What about kids who just, you know, who, do you have a contingency plan for the day when kids get way too addicted to VR? What's, what's going to happen then? Are you...
1: Well, behavioral addiction, in my opinion, is something that shouldn't be regulated. People get addicted to anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you get addicted to reading, you get addicted to, to magazines, uh they're just things that. I, mean, I wish I was addicted to reading. Yeah, that would be. That would be. I'd <laughs> be way I, smarter. Yeah. Uh, it, it's it's something that uh, as long as you can take off the headset whenever you want, then you know it's not it doesn't really your choice to get addicted. It's something that happens over time. Uh, but that's that's a behavioral problem in society that society will you know find a solution to that. So. Uh, i don't see i don't see it it being any different than movies today or or television uh you know we have systems in place for this so there's not really what's the question it sounds like uh it sounds like a very fox news question well
2: in the future i I think there is a legitimate uh there's some meat to that question um because you know there for instance there's no rating system right now for vr games um is it is there going to be a rating system that kind of carries over from the from the video games industry, probably it'll be something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like we've you know we've been showcasing at like IndieCade or at the Sweden Games Conference or whatever, and we've had like seven, eight year old kids come up and they're like ready to go, like let's play some zombies. And it's a very gory, very graphic game. Like there's limbs falling off and there's brains splattering everywhere, and you feel like you're actually there and you're mm-hmm. shooting a wet like an automatic weapon. Like it's it's 100% violence. Um, and, you know, we pause for a second, and, you know, ask the parents, like, listen, you see what's on the screen here. Are you sure you really want your kids to play this right now? And you know, some parents are like, yeah, it's probably better not to. Um, but other parents are like, you know what? It's, you know, I'm a game designer. My kids are going to probably be designing games. Like, I'm cool with it. Like, they need to, you know, kids need to learn how to separate reality from virtual reality or video games because it's a part of our culture. And, you know, maybe that's specific to parents who are game designers. But at the same time, you know. There's a saying that goes like, you know, like the last generation, like the the last generation's fears are the next generation's literature. So when you think Uh, about it, like, you know, like a long time ago, rock and roll music was, oh, it's the devil, you know, but it's same thing with video games. Like now it's becoming like very like it's it's an intellectual pursuit. It's uh, there's a lot of schools of thought around video games and a lot of academics who are studying it um, as a literature. and it's not, you know, it's not as simple as it used to be. And so those types of concerns are, although they are very real, I think that um, they sort of fall in line with every other concern with every other type of medium. And eventually, it'll work itself out. Yeah. Well,
0: by by working itself out, uh, and m- maybe this is uh, perhaps taking it too far, but uh, again, we don't know. Will 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 society or will people start creating uh, VR addiction boot camps, like how they do in Korea for people who play, play too much StarCraft? Yeah, I
1: saw, I saw, <laughs> saw them in uh, China, Internet Addiction wow. like, in, uh, in China. And honestly, uh, looking at those kids... Those kids are just those are futuristic kids. It's the parents who have the problem. If you know, the parents aren't addicted to the internet, that's their problem. Uh, everyone in our entire country right now is addicted to the internet. Just look in your pocket and sell yeah. your cell phones right there. So I, I think that's just a that's a societal that internet internet addiction boot camp is not a solution. It's a problem <laughs> in that society. That boot camp shouldn't exist at all. Those parents need to pick up some computers uh, and become addicted themselves. Uh, society's going to change, and those are just old institutions trying to react to the changes that are, that are coming too fast so i don't see when you say addiction i i don't see addiction at all i see i see people you know it's the same way we're addicted to sugar right like, <laughs> you know this isn't this isn't addiction that's just behavior that's just the way of life. or coffee
0: yeah yeah it, coffee For coffee is,
1: coffee's yeah, a great example our entire society runs on coffee yeah. is addicted to coffee and we love it, and we wouldn't know how to function in any other way. And once again, I don't call it an addiction, I just call it a culture. So you're saying like, once
2: it's ubiquitous, and everyone's doing it, it's not an addiction? Yeah, those, those kids who are hanging out and playing StarCraft all day, that's what. That's just the future. That's just what they're going to do. Well, there is, I don't know, man. I mean, I there is something to that idea of like a dystopia, where, I don't know, what's it called? Not an Orwellian dystopia, but a, a Huxleyan dystopia? Yeah, yeah well, like it's a like new world. it's a dystopia of pleasure, not a dystopia of pain, well, and where people are so like it, it's kind of like Wally, you know, if you saw the movie Wally, um, mm-hmm. it's like people are so absorbed in their pleasures that are constantly stimulating them all the time that society just basically well, goes like, all, and it's all like this nothing happens so anymore, everyone gets fat,
1: and everyone's like stuck in their VR consoles. I personally wrote that as a reaction to sound film, I believe, to talkies, about how they were too sensual, how they were too, you know, they, they they um they were they were too immersive. That's what he originally wrote that about. And that was the very beginning of film. You compare that to today where you, you turn on the television and you can get sex and violence in ten seconds. Yeah. And we're still here, we're still fine. Uh, we're not. This isn't Brave New World, and it's not 1984. You know, with a with a government. You know, kind of the the alternative dystopia. Right. So yeah, I think dystopic fears are just that, and they can be fun to play to play around with as as kind of uh, in literature. But I don't see. Um, I see them as as being the same dystopic fears that we've had for a long time. Well, maybe
2: you know, from our cultural perspective, at least in the United States, it 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 may seem that a dystopia is a fun fanciful idea, but there's dystopias that exist right now, um, all over the world, and you know I don't know if I could totally see something in in some region of the world someday. There could easily be a dystopia that is, you know, very deeply ingrained in virtual reality, but. I don't think that's gonna be something that's happening. Government mandated virtual reality. Government mandated virtual reality training, you know, training soldiers when they're children in virtual reality and making them kill people.
0: That could happen. Speaking speaking to those Anyway, so, yeah, so speaking yeah, about this, these point, this dystopic fears, I, 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 what I, like you, when you talk about these dystopic fears, I feel like these, uh, those fears are a manifestation of people who don't have the imagination to see that virtual reality can be a positive thing for others. Yeah, it's not, it's you not, know, not just because that it's
1: positive or negative. It's the fact that they're, they're just, they're, they're old and their brain is formed to a point where it's, it's getting hard for them to change, and they don't want to change enough to really understand and get something. I mean, everyone goes through this. You get to a certain age, and there's something completely new comes out. There's a sea change, and you kind of look at it and you say to yourself, "I mean, I'm going to need to do so much work to get into this new thing." You can either get into it, or you can kind of be curmudgeonly and 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 and. and and diss it. Yeah, know, that was, that was Snapchat off. for me for a while. That
0: was aggressive dubstep. Like <laughs> aggressive dubstep. I listen to it and, and it's just like it. I feel like it's Optimus Prime having sex with a, a washing machine. Like, that's that what, amazing. That's what happens with to dubstep. <laughs> 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 you should
2: stick with like hard trance
0: instead. It's much better. Yeah, I, I like it. Yeah, <laughs> it's great workout music. So st- right, st- right. sticking with again with the the, uh, the Devil's Advocate. Um, you know. And, and you, or, you already sort of touched this uh, earlier, but, but they're going to say, so, but look at this virtual reality, you know, it's going to, it's gotten to a point where it feels so real, you know, are, are we, you know, we, we went from the point where people used to hold controllers and had TVs 10 feet away from them. And now they're inside this world, killing people inside battlefield three or battlefield whatever. And, you know, and they're like, are we, is that, a, is that jump between the interface to the interface, is that uh, doing something to the brain differently? Will that Uh, make people uh, more violent? that's
1: interesting. It it, it definitely is, but I will say this about realism and about killing in in particular. Yeah. uh, The system of of something like a Battlefield 3 or a Battlefield... Yeah, Battlefield Battlefield 4. Battlefield 4, It's so... That system is you know, one, uh, one millionth as complicated or one billionth as complicated as one human brain. And the difference between killing people on Battlefield 4 or any simulation for that matter that we can create with current technological, uh, current te- technology is always going to be completely different than real violence. Yes. It, it, what it is is it's a fantasy facsimile of violence that has some of the same things. So you get, you get some of the same feeling from it. But there's 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 fundamental things about the real world that is so complicated that that with our current technology maybe maybe in the future but with our current technology we can never ever ever replicate it. So there's a, there, that always drives a difference between fantasy violence, even the most gory, most insane fantasy violence on television will still never compare to the the filmed violence that occurred in the holocaust in the 1940s. Mm-hmm. You can still never have it compare because it's there's just something so so real about actual realism. So I just want I just want to put that out there saying that even if you make a really violent video game, it's that it doesn't turn people into violent you know or, or get people accustomed to violence. The people who play violent video games you know they, they they still they cut their finger and they, they might pass out even if the uh, still, e- it's still completely well, it's, and so, so they'll ask fate,
0: but, you know. and so they'll ask even if the par so they'll so they'll say that that's fine and all um and again i'm I'm helping you guys out here uh and they'll, uh, uh, and they'll <laughs> no, say I'm that that's fine and I'm all what? uh what? but then they're like but they're, but they're like the paradigm it, through which we consume this media has changed radically I mean, you know it, it, again yeah. it's the same it, it, we haven't seen the long term effects of this new paradigm of consuming media on the human brain you oh, know sure. so
2: I... well here let me tell you every parent's greatest fear
0: about about
2: reality they're going to come <laughs> home from work and they're going to see their seven or eight year old child in the living room with a head mounted display strapped to their face and they're going to be gunning down soldiers left and right and they're going to be totally sensory deprived of everything else and they're going to be doing it for hours on end that's every every parent's greatest fear and I can see why that might seem scary. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, when you know, technology is pushing forward and there's much more immersive interfaces for using things and it is making progress, you know, games are just gonna be one, uh, basically one example of how this technology is moving you know, basically society forward. I mean, we're gonna be using interfaces of this kind, whether it's virtual reality or, or augmented reality or what have you, in all kinds of applications, and it's going to permeate everything. Um, and so, in a sense, you know that fear might be kind of—it's—it it, seems scary now, but when it's happened, when it when we get to that point, um, it's going to be kind of a misplaced fear because you know, as, like Nate said, you know, everyone's going to be doing it. Well, and I can I can relate this to the fears for so for regular video games, they do fundamentally
1: change behavior. People who play video games, I think I read, I read a study once where it said they were less—they were more—they would. Basically, video games have boiled down to this: they make people more analytical, they make yep. them smarter, and have yep. better reflexes, right. and they make them pay attention to things like school less. And and uh, so the first thing is so the way we the whole, teach people needs to change. Well, that's yeah. one. Well, yeah, that's basically. Um, so uh, you know, the first part obviously, you know, you're practicing your reflexes all the time, so they get better. You're solving puzzles, so you get more analytical. Uh, you might get more empathetic because of narrative and story and that sort of thing, and you pay attention to school less because, frankly, school sucks. <laughs> it's just not as interesting as the games you're playing, yeah. and, and, and so it's not—you know—it's not that these things are taking away from. Oh, the school is so important. You know, kids need to—you know—pay more attention in school. It's not that. Is that school needs to evolve to get—you know—to to be able to—you know—if it's important, it should seem like it's important. And if yeah. it doesn't seem like it's important, maybe it's not, or maybe you're doing it wrong. I, I, you know, I. When I was in high school, history was the most boring thing in the world. Now I love. I live for. I live for Dan Carlin's Hardcore
3: History. Yes, That's great. not can't wait to listen to it. <laughs>
1: fantastic. He's, he's he's my hero. <laughs> <laughs> why is was that, that schism there? Why why I, I hate one thing or one point, and I love something there. the same exact thing later on. It's just because the the, the format uh, with which we teach people, and then even how we teach people, and how we we try to cram. Kids who who are just full of energy and just want to run around. We try to cram them with information mm-hmm. and then an stuff them into a chair. Right, stuff them into a chair and then adults. You don't mind being stuffed into a chair, and be crammed with information. Somehow they don't get any of the information. And they have to go out and work. I mean, our society <laughs> seems to. I don't know. It just it, 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 these things need to evolve
0: as well. I agree. Yeah. I it's it's a, it, it's tragic. It's tragic that we're still stuck with the education's models structures that we've been using for the last 120 to 130 years. It's it's. It's ri- ridiculous, it's the 21st yeah. century, and, and I feel like <laughs> virtual reality should be, you know, it's sooner or later, virtual reality, I think, will be the enhancer, or the, the, the holy grail to education that we've we all have been looking for. Um, you know, it's just this thing, that that idea of being traveling to places, the solar system, Rome, yeah. you know, it's just...
1: Or even, even going back to history, I mean, imagine actually being there at Waterloo when Napoleon fell off a horse. Oh my God. Storm. Uh, you know, does any kind yeah, of historical event being able to perceive it from different perspectives uh, you know, actually feeling like you're there, uh,
3: yeah the, the possibilities are, you know, it opens up a little yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's what's going to
2: inspire interest in well not just history, but education in general. Like Like, just one small example of this already happening is one of my favorite RIFT demos or RIFT um, experiences is Titans of Space. Yeah. um, Where you just literally just sit back and you're floating around looking at planets and like there's this cerebral sort of, you know, mysterious music playing. It feels very spacey. And I'm just like, this shit is awesome. Like, I love astronomy now and I wish I had this when I was in fourth grade. Um, but I didn't, you know, instead we were stuck with like these little tiny plastic replicas of the solar system. And it was kind of interesting, but you know, imagine that for any subject, um, you know, and students who are attuned to mathematics, there will be systems for learning mathematics that Learned are insanely learning. interesting. I love it. And, you know, for any other subject, I think it could, you know, just biology, you know, l- looking at molecules, anything, it's, it's going to be a, a revolution. And I just hope that the education,
1: industry, because it is an industry, Mm -hmm. I hope the education industry catches up. Yeah, you know, for spatial things, I haven't really thought about it, but molecules and planets, I mean, when you visualize them, look kind of the same. But, yeah, really, that Titans of space, that really works for the human body, or... Uh, you know, understanding, uh, god, understanding something like quantum mechanics, or well that even just like, that goes beyond Euclidean space? But, but let's hey, take yeah.
0: that, let's take that even a little bit further, because even, even philosophically, like I was, I was inside Titan's of space, and I had a an existential crisis in there because I had, oh, wow. uh, mind you, I was high, but I had this uh, amazing had, that definitely helps. <laughs> but but I, but I had, I, you know, had this realization of, oh, holy shit, I am so small, so so infinitely small in my place. The universe is is almost nothing. It, it it humbles you. It humbles you, and I think oh, people yeah. uh, people would yeah. find themselves finding value to that sort of experience. now
2: it kind of reminds me. There's this part in the if you read the book series, The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy by Douglas Adams. There's this part. I can't remember which book, but there's like this machine that you you could put people into, and all at once they would realize like their physical size mm-hmm. in comparison to the rest of the entire universe. And they would realize it all at once. Cause they would have like a visualizer or something and they would suddenly realize how insanely inconsequential they were as an individual. And their brain would just explode. Oh, <laughs> whoa. Just like, their brain would just explode. Like people go in there, they'd suddenly realize uh, the true size of the universe.
1: And just. Exploding. And, I mean, you know how Douglas Adams is and it's always just the most ridiculous well, yes. Yes, but <laughs> human beings, we're also, we're infinitesimally small and we're an infinitesimally large. I mean, if you go the other way and you go down to the smallest elements that we, we know of and then we realize there's elements that are smaller than those and then are made up of smaller elements and, right. you know, kind of goes both ways, uh, you know, so. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know, just, know where I'm going here. I'm not high, but I sound like <laughs> it. Well to, me, well, to me, I mean, I feel like
2: uh, it's just the whole idea of a three-dimensional user interface or... Learning in three dimensions is really something that can't be paralleled with 2D interfaces. And, you know, I, I say 2D interface in the most general sense, like a, like a, even a piece of paper with writing on it. Yeah. That's a 2D interface. A drawing is a 2D interface. Um, you know, being able to access information in three dimensions, I think, is much more natural. Mm-hmm. And as human beings, we're just going to be a million times more perceptive. Uh, and we're going to be like sponges with information, Mm -hmm. um, being able to like, just the way that you can present things in VR is I think just, it's going to accelerate learning and it's going to accelerate interest and, um, it could really explode. I think it's going to be pretty interesting to see where this goes
0: here's a crazy thought that i i hope you might you guys might be able to indulge me in i was uh i was reading some, uh, an article earlier about how uh by 2050 uh researchers are predicting that 40 percent 47 percent of all jobs will be automated um oh, yeah. so so That's where
1: you just relax all that <laughs> so,
0: yeah. but so i think about like well well what is everybody going to do with their time you know what's gonna what's gonna who, well,
1: I mean, this is the fundamental problem of society is that we expect everyone to have an eight-hour work day. I mean, mm-hmm. think about it. We have the most automated society in the world, and, when, and, and most people work more than eight hours a day. They work two jobs. They work 12 hours a day. It doesn't make sense. There's, once again, some fundamental structures mm-hmm. that do not work for society. And what, what, the way it should work, theoretically at least, is with more automation, you get more leisure time.
0: Now, sometimes it doesn't doesn't quite work out that way, but in in theory, it really should. Well, this is
2: also a fear in the 1960s where we had the, you know, sentient robots were just around the corner. We (laughs) thought in the 1980s we were going to have robots doing all of our bidding. And to some extent that did come true with, you know, automating manufacturing lines and stuff. But um, at the end of the day, like, you know, yeah, maybe by 2050, there is going to be a lot of jobs that are automated. But I don't know. I think people will there may be a margin of people that become jobless uh, and that's a very real possibility. But at the same time, I think the idea of a job is evolving. And I think that people are going to be a lot more creative in their endeavors and not creative in a strict sense, but you know, um, just, there's, there's going to be a lot more, you know, people are just going to be moving around and doing a lot more things at once. And, um, I'm excited to see where
0: it goes. So here's my pie in the sky vision of, of what that might look like. I think that virtual reality is the ultimate creation tool. I mean, just just from a creator standpoint, I can show you uh, the I can show you a world from the angle I want to show you. I can show you a sequence of events from you know precisely to the T what exactly it is that I want to show you and i think that you know you mentioned earlier you know people will have the leisure to be creators which is what i think human beings are inherently uh been born to be we we're yeah. all creators we're all walking around with ma- with these supercomputers 3 pound massive <laughs> supercomputers on our on our heads and we're not using them you know i dream of the day when when inside virtual reality people will be able to share their dreams with each other or you know build models you know minecraft-esque worlds for people to you know explore with their families together i yeah i think the future looks bright if if we can harness this energy this movement um sometime in the future well the key
1: is 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 making a creative system that's easy enough for people who don't want to spend years learning it to actually get into and produce something that's of a a reasonable level of quality, whether it's uh, things like Project Spark or Level Letters and Little Big Planet. Right. Uh, Like community workshops like they have on Steam. Yeah. And those, I mean, those, once again, you know, community workshop, you still need to know Maya and you still need to put some things together. And You know, Maya is like 15 years old. But, I mean,
2: you know, every, you know, talking, you know, I guess referencing the job discussion, you know, every job requires some skill in some area that is, you know, in a sense, it's it's an expertise in a particular area. Yeah. And I think people's talents and people's expertise will start uh, transitioning more and more over into the virtual world and less and less to the physical world as the physical world becomes more automated. So you will have situations where people can set up a lot of, you know, st- what are essentially storefronts, um, you know, selling services, like software as a service, just like it always has been, yeah. um, selling virtual goods, yeah. um, Uh, you know, basically providing experiences for people that other people pay for. And, you know, maybe we'll all be using bitcoins by then. I'm not sure, but it'll be interesting. Uh, I think it's just going to evolve and it's going to be a lot more virtual. So yeah, you you definitely hit the nail on the head. like, I 100% agree, like all human beings are very much creators. And I think we feel fulfilled by creating things Mm -hmm. and by discovering things. Mm -hmm. And in the process of discovery and in the process of creation, like that's what brings about, um, Essentially, happiness in, in the most general sense of the word, and I think uh, I think I think this new future is going to bring a lot
1: more happiness. Yeah, this is what video games do, and you know, virtual reality video games as well. I mean, they, they bring happiness by letting human beings do what they're programmed to do: to collect things, to create things, to explore, to kill things. Because frankly, we're programmed to do that too. Uh, you know, it lets yeah, us, that's true. it lets us do that uh, in a way that doesn't harm people or disrupt society.
0: Right. And, you know, there's. That's a really interesting point. Uh, there, there is an interesting point, and, and I was gonna ah, uh, oh, there's so many places I can go. Oh, I'm deciding <laughs> which 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 fork in the road am I gonna go? Ah, uh, let's go with this one. Ah, uh, <laughs> uh, that's an interesting uh thing you mentioned because uh, Cymatic Bruce, the first time that I went to the first Silicon Valley virtual reality meetup, Simatic Bruce was doing a quick talk, and he was saying um some something about video games have lowered violence in 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 uh, low income oh, neighborhoods. Yeah. And I I th- I think that's very true. I I send a uh, my I have two younger brothers who live in Nicaragua um, in the barrios, and I sent them a PS3 because I I you know I value the time we spend together playing online, and it also that keeps them awesome. off the street, which is yeah. awesome. Um, oh yeah, that's so, crazy. So so I think they you're 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 right on it when you're saying that we will be able to to uh, you know that that physicality that need for violence that we humans have. It ingrain in our in our bodies and our brains because we're not that. You know the the Stone Age and in the Paleo era and the the times when we used to be hunter gatherers those those in the in the grand scheme of things those are a blink of an eye in the in the in time and and yeah. so we're still with those brains we still have we still have those bodies and now we have this society that we're supposed to be organized we're supposed to be nice to each other or what so I think that <laughs> so unnatural. video games so unnatural. yeah and, and so video games are are I think are, are are sort of a a channel through which you can channel that energy that you know that 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 inner that wants yeah. to, urgh, you know what I'm saying?
1: Oh, the no. evolutionary aggression, I guess, or whatever it is. Yeah. I mean, just like I said, the things that we're wired to do, uh, society, you know, the civilization as we call it is not particularly well tuned to that. And I think most people, the problems they have, the problem of a kid not wanting to learn in school, of a guy growing older and not wanting to get a job, whatever it is, those are problems of people not wanting to naturally conform to civilization and that's just because it's really, really hard to do that. There's people who would love to be able to conform better. Mm-hmm. But to to, to quell to uh quelch um uh, those animal uh urges or instincts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh quelch, is that a word? Quelch? Uh, I don't know. Uh, Quench. Quench? Quench is quelcher words. I word. <laughs> 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 you're you're just a word. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um but uh just making up shit left and right. <laughs> and there's uh <laughs> um there's there's you know that's the, one of the main problems of civilization and so naturally civilization has outlets civilization has games it has sports it has art and literature and all of these things that kind of broad category of, of human creation and human experience is our outlet to satisfy our needs while this machine of civilization keeps moving forward
0: do so so here's next so here's the next the, the most obvious obstacle right now for us. I, I feel like you know I, I look at you guys and you're, you seem pretty young. I feel like we're part of the same generation. Um, and, and so we were talking about earlier how, how the older generation and older generations will will fear this new technology. How as as you know as a community, as creators, as, as, as people who are enthused, enthused about virtual reality, what 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 can we do to to bring down those fears how how can we bring in though that older generation to to virtual reality to show them hey it's not that's not as bad as you think you know what what do you think
2: i'd say put as many hmds on their faces as possible <laughs>
3: because
2: the technology speaks for itself you know if you look at old generational fears like you know the rise of rock and roll or or whatever has happened in the past century there's a million of them yeah um You know, my grandparents' generation, when they heard rock and roll, they fucking hated it and they thought it was terrible. And my dad's generation, who grew up in the, you know, came of age in the 60s and was tripping acid and smoking weed for the first time, you know, it seemed like a very strange cultural uh, shift. And Mm -hmm. it was very scary for a lot of people. Um, But this is way less scary than any of that, you Mm -hmm. know, in comparison, you know, because I think that, you know, because displays and computers and interfaces are so ubiquitous these days um, although it's a very strong immersion jump, um, it's not necessarily a strong um, like jump in terms of how it's being used and, and the purpose of it. So I think you know if you have anybody from you know an older generation who thinks that this is scary, give them an HMD and have them play a really cool rift
1: demo and they'll be like, oh my god, this is awesome. Yeah, and I I think for – or at least that's step number one. And for people who have kids who are already using iPads on unregulated internet, you know, on the unregulated internet, they're pretty much – those kids, you know, Pandora's box is open. Yeah. And I almost see them looking at this as like, oh, there's another thing little Jimmy has. Yeah, get out of here, you little little (laughs) – That's pretty much how I I see it. And it's always me. (laughs) Yeah. I, I don't see, I think James is very correct in that, is this technology is so ubiquitous that it's just another piece of technology where we're so used to it that it's, it's not going to shock us. Whereas that those early pieces of technology that people would immerse themselves in, they would, they would compare, you know, it's like, oh, television. That was one of the very first things that a piece of technology everyone had to own besides, you know, the radio. But it brought in, uh, you know, a, kind of a visual medium uh, in, in such a powerful way that nothing had done before, um, you know, that I, I think that that obviously did shock a lot of people. But, yeah. but I, I think people, you know, games are, are, are played so often, people watch so much television, people watch so many movies, uh, they're on Facebook, they're on social media all the time. I, I, I don't mean, know it, it blows my mind, change. it blows my mind what kids have access to these days. Like, literally, what, I didn't get my first cell
2: phone until I was 14, and my parents almost didn't give me one because they thought it was way too young. And now I see, you know, seven, eight, nine-year-olds walk around with the entire, you know, world of knowledge in their pocket yeah. and uh, totally unregulated. They can look up porn if they want to. Yep. You know, every kid's seen porn these days, I feel like. It doesn't even matter. Well, and they learn, they learn at an early
1: age to kind of see it and filter it out. And it's, um, yeah, it's
2: just a very different process now that, you know, even to me as a generation behind kids that are growing up now. It seems it it almost does seem a little bit shocking, but at the same time, uh, I it's I'm very accepting of it because I feel like it's just a transition, uh, and I think you know everyone's evolving, and that's just the way it is, and I think it's fine, you
0: know. Transition to things. what do you think we're transitioning to?
1: So a world full of ubiquitous uh, devices, well, smarter, more intelligent, you know, faster people,
2: people who can think faster. And I think people who can be responsible much more responsible with with what they take in as input, you know?
1: Yeah, I think there's, you know, people have said that uh, that people have a harder time reading longer articles today than they did 20 years ago, and, you know, there are some changes into how people's brains have been uh, developing and processing information, but I don't think it's going to end up being, uh, I, I see it all as being pretty positive. I think people think differently today, but it doesn't mean they can't think deeply or they can't think, uh, complexly about things. I actually think right. quite the opposite. And there's always ways that you can regulate things at
2: least passively. Um, and I think there's ways that you can... There's always going to be a system in place for parental controls and if you're a responsible parent, you can uh, you can regulate that for your... You can impose your you.
1: will upon your kids. I
2: mean, if you want to... <laughs> that sounds so dark and evil, but <laughs> I think to some extent it is important because it can't be total totally no regulation because yeah. it's just so easy to access anything. Like, you... Maybe you don't want your kid playing like a super super violent Grand Theft Auto 25, you know, in virtual reality in 15 years from now because it's you know it's very very strongly simulated violence and that's something that you don't want. That's cool, like you can regulate that. But at the end of the day, it's just the the immersion level is and the ubiquity of it is going to be so extreme that it's just going to permeate everything. And I think we're gonna we're gonna have to learn and grow how to.
1: How to work with that and not work against that. Well, and also, it's very important that, um, this is kind of a, more of an artistic concept, but, uh, things that are ultra-violent, they, they still, they still have to maintain a certain amount of good taste. Like, mm-hmm. if you look at Grand Theft Auto, it's, it's very violent and it's also in very, very good taste. Mm-hmm. And that's why you're able to get away, uh, uh, um, you're able to get away with the violence because you kind of, you know, there's some social sort of commentary in there and it's done, it's hard to describe, but it's done in a certain way where people say, oh, I get it, I see what they're doing. If you look at, for example, a stand-up comedian who uses racism specifically in their stand-up comedy, uh, they're, a lot of times, a lot of them are able to get away with it because they're they're using it in a very good way. They make good points, whatever, like a Chris Rock or something. Example. When I say racism, I mean, you know, literally calling someone black or white and therefore, you know, black people walk like this and white people walk like that. That's, that's, that's racism. It's saying one race says thing and one race says another thing. If they make, you know, a truthful, truthful point or an interesting point or whatever, you kind of give them pass, but then when someone makes a, a, tate, a joke in bad taste, you don't give them pass. Yeah. Same thing has to do with violence. The same thing has to do with sex. It's all about whether it's gratuitous or not. You know. Oh, that's interesting. So it's it's, it's you know it's a gratuitous. is in bad taste. Isn't. Uh, you know, and, and sometimes things in bad taste will rub people the wrong way, whereas you look at something else that's in good taste, but it's much more violent, will actually slide by, you know, the MPAA, will give it an R instead of an NC-17. You know, like a uh, Tarantino film or something. Tarantino films are always, usually in such fantastic taste that you just, you can do anything on that screen, yeah. it's just like, wow. And people are just like, it's brilliant, it's brilliant, yeah, <laughs> You know, watching Hitler get shot a million and a half times in
2: the face. Oh, you just get really? literally,
1: you stand there, like, minutes, <laughs> Hitler's just dancing on the floor with of bullets. And you're just right. like, you just have a giant smile on your face. and. Yeah, no, and everyone loves it. Yeah, that's right. exact, exactly. That's a very good example. Uh,
2: yeah, yeah, <laughs> and so that's that's I guess a so a good a good taste. But so what would be to, an example of like a video game with
1: bad taste? In- uh, I think Postal Two is the one that always comes to mind, which, which is, is straddling that line of good and bad taste. Okay. Oh, what's that one about? I haven't I haven't heard of it. Uh, play. I don't know. I can't remember. It's just one where you can you can piss on people, and Gary Coleman is in it. I don't know. It, he's like, <laughs> Like, that sounds like a very interesting... There's, there's like, like you can, like, stomp a cat onto the edge of a shotgun, and it's, like, a it, like, muffles the shotgun. Like, just, like, yeah, you see, exactly. You, 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 yeah, yeah, exactly. And right. so it's not just... I'm a cat lover, too. So well, it's like, you fun. love cats, but on top of that, <laughs> on top of that, it's not fun. Right? Yeah. Right. So... That has the potential. Like I can, I'm sure there's jokes out there that involve the death of cats, drowning cats. For some reason, drowning cats is funny to me. I don't know why. It's is that like a meme or something? <laughs> no, drowning cats, they used to drown cats. Drowning cats used to be a thing. They used to they used to find there were too many cats. It's just like hunting to to cull populations. They used to find cats and drown them. They used to go whaling for oil. I mean, you used to do all sorts of crazy things. Yeah. But we we used to you know find cats, put them in bags, and drown them. And it, it, the death of cats is a very tragic thing. It's not that's not funny. But for some reason. The anachronism is funny. The, the, it's just so ridiculous. It's so
3: ridiculous to our sensibilities today that it's inherently funny. Right. But it just crosses that line into being humorous because it's so absurd.
1: It's so absurd. But, it's like, people actually did this? But the cat yeah. on the edge of a shotgun is like, no one actually did that. It doesn't make any sense. Therefore, it's not funny. It's it's in bad taste. It's, it's just really, really therefore, fucked therefore, up. therefore, offensive. Exactly. Yeah, so, right. you know, taste is a, offense relates to taste. And, and, and so people who make virtual reality entertainment in the future, just like people who make movies, television, anything else, they need to work hard and they need to make it, in, make things in good taste that people will like. And right. and, the, and the the art form will be fine, just like every other. Art form. So it really is up to the developer. I mean, just like anything else. Well, the market, the market yeah. regulates it as well. When people make it, when they say something in bad taste on the internet, people go crazy after them. So there's, the, the, the internet is an amazing negative press machine. And, right. and so people, you know, very uh, purposefully make things that other people are going to enjoy and not, you know, uh, attack them for. Right.
2: I, I think, you know, if you wanted to, you could create something that's truly horrific in virtual reality. That's mm-hmm. much more so than any other medium up until now, because just it's so immersive and you have, a very, you have such strong presence. But I don't think people are going to do that. As much. I am. I mean, it, it, you know, things, things may exist, but I don't think it's going to be it, so pervasive and so. There's not going to be a bunch he, of stuff that comes out. But if someone makes that and if it's truthful, if there's
0: truth in their art, then even if it is horrific, you know, it's, it's in good taste and it, it says something about the human condition. I, for right? example.
1: <laughs> right.
0: Precisely. So, I, for example, uh, yeah. you're, you're talking about horrific, and I think that you know you're right. If, if something is truthful and yet, yet horrific, there's still a value to this. So, for example, virtual reality yeah. journalism. What what right. what what sort of effect will it will will it have on people when they can view and see the Syrian civil war through the eyes of right. a child refugee, or see themselves oh, yeah. you know trapped in Saudi Arabia as a woman? You know these these sorts of realities could could enhance our own reality our own reality through vr um
1: they're, they're, yeah I mean, it's horrific but it's empathy through horror i mean you're really you really get to empathize with people and you get to connect the dots you don't you know they're it's not they're over there and we're over here it's wow i really understand that woman's plight and i'll think twice before you know i i, I vote for someone based on who you're going to pick for secretary of defense and who we're going to go to war with oh yeah uh, you know connecting those dots You know, as um, Stephen Covey would say, you know, picking up one end of the stick picks up the other end of the stick. That's a very important uh, function of art and and virtual reality video games uh, very much having a a new tremendous ability to do that. Oh, yeah, I mean, when you think about immersive journalism, I mean, a friend of ours... uh, Nani
2: Dillapena. Yeah, Nani, she, she created an immersive journalism piece about... Um, Hunger in LA. Yeah, it's called Hunger in LA. Is it, and it just shows like you're in a virtual environment, and you show up and you're in a food line. Mm-hmm. And like, I, it's like it's somewhere in somewhere downtown Los Angeles and you're waiting for food, and some guy starts having a seizure on the sidewalk. And you don't know what to do. And like, everyone's freaking out, people are calling on the phone, and like an ambulance shows up. And apparently, he had like a, you know, some kind of problem where he needed to get access to food immediately. And, um, but it's just like it was a passive experience, so you couldn't, you had no agency in the situation. So it, it would be very similar to an immersive newscast, where you could put on your VR headset and you'd get access to a, a an omnidirectional camera mm-hmm. that would be viewing a scene in real time mm-hmm. um, in another part of the world, and you'd be able to witness anything that's going on. And I think what would happen is you'd have this huge paradigm shift where right now news. Is almost pacifying like you you see violence on TV every day and it makes you less and less um, you know I don't know what, what you want to call it but less and less empathetic because they're like creating these dramatic stories around it and they're pounding it into your brain and yeah. it's like there's a car chase and there's a shooting and you don't even care, it's like you don't care, care. You don't care anymore but then all of a sudden if you have immersive uh, news where you're actually there and you can feel it and mm-hmm. see it in real time it's going to be a one eighty shift where all of a sudden there's way more compassion and mm-hmm. there's way more empathy and there's way more understanding. And re- I mean, regardless of the of the content, whether it's violent or it's not violent or what or whatever, I think you know being able to have access to this new technology where you can do gender swapping and you yeah. can do environment swapping. And you can have complete, you know, 180 shifts in, in what you would normally experience, Perception. and your perception. Like you, all of a sudden, you you could be in anybody's shoes that you can imagine, and you can have you can experience anyone else's experience. And um, that's going to be a profound uh, shift, I think.
0: Yeah, I think the fourth estate as we know it, the mainstream media that we currently have, is such shit. It's it's such yeah, it's really shit bad. it's it's, it's, it's bad, yeah. I, and just, you know you you saw the uh, what was it I saw on Reddit someone posted or uh, a YouTube video of, of a CNN interview between the CNN uh, anchor and uh, a congressperson talking about the NSA in in you know, an issue that ta- that touches every human being on planet earth yeah. and, and, and and here in middle of the con- you know mid sentence a congresswoman is talking about the NSA and reviewing the you know the current programs and all that stuff and the CNN an- anchor stops her dead in her tracks. And she's like, "A Congresswoman, Congresswoman, I got to I gotta stop you right here for now. I have breaking news. Breaking news. Justin Bieber has been arrested in Miami. <laughs> what the fuck? Oh, my God. What, in the, like what so world do what I live in? Shows. Oh, my God. <laughs> the reason that happens is because the incentive system is broken,
1: right? Yeah. Justin Bieber makes more money for CNN. CNN is a corporation that needs to make money. And therefore, so you're, you're saying, saying that drives viewers? And I guess that's what it comes down to. Yeah, I mean, it's not, you know, everyone. Yeah, that's true. Everything has incentives, and incentives drive people. I mean, it's economics 101. So to expect CNN or any other corporation to report to to report new news and journalism as we usually see it, it's almost amazing we've gotten this far. And we actually have journalism at all. It's kind of you know. Like, I, I would like to set up a, a stronger incentive system for journalism. We need to kind of build it into our society. It was originally. Put in place you know um, uh, by the founders with freedom in the press and there's a lot of uh, you know people uh, with, you know, starting with print, printing presses and distributing uh, pamphlets and that sort of thing and, and kind of building up the press in this country and we have kind of a cultural view of it as being this fourth estate uh, but it's eroding because the incentive the, the primary incentive systems uh money basically you know that, that's not how they work it's an ideal that we're that's cult a cultural concept but it's not really reinforced by the system. So uh, so like objective you know, journalism is kind of not, it's like a thing of the past. There's not, not enough money in it, yeah. you know? I mean, it's, why is there so little money in objective journalism and so much money in, in sports? It, it, uh, you know, why, why does Kobe make, you know, uh, 50 million or I don't know, 50 might be a little much. Or like <laughs> I have no idea how much million. Kobe makes. I'm yeah, sure it's a lot, of, though. I think Kobe makes like 30 million or something. Uh, but, um, you know, uh, why is that? Why is our society designed that way? Uh, you know, there's fundamental human human needs there, and people love competition. But there couldn't be better incentive systems and ways of treating society to make those things better. So it's also entertainment. Like you, you turn
2: on the TV, and now you got news stations that are trying to entertain you yeah. for three hours, not giving you news necessarily. They're trying to keep your eyeballs on the well, screen. This is so.
1: What I realized about cable television channels in particular is everything is entertainment. There's mm-hmm. something that's a trend that I noticed. Basically, every channel. Yeah, let's say if uh, a TV show like uh, Seinfeld is being sold if the syndication rights for Seinfeld are being sold for very cheap. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know the number there could be a number of cable channel bidders, right? Not only way back in the day it would be like, okay, TBS and uh, you know a few different uh, channels who typically run comedy television shows would bid on that. In today's day and age, Everyone will bid on it. If you own a cable channel, it doesn't matter what the hell you're supposed to be doing. You will bid on something that will make you money. It's stupid not to. So what this means is that you go to something like Turner Classic Movies or or whatever, or I mean, you know, any of those kind of like old school movies, TV whatever they are, and what's on? I don't know, Dog the Bounty Hunters reality show or some random shit because it doesn't. They've all lost their identity and they're basically just these money machines, they don't, there's no one at the helm, these corporations were started by idealistic people who had identities and their corporations had identities, and now they're run by people who are disconnected from the original founding, mm-hmm. and they just have, they're just these, these things that generate revenue, right. and, and I think that's the fundamental problem in, the, in, the, in, in corporate structures, you know, you know, they don't have good mission statements or whatever, right, maybe the corporation's concept isn't as good as we thought it was, but, uh, you know, these things are, are getting older and they just generate revenue, the, the press is the same exact way. And that's why I like uh, like Al Jazeera America coming on board and had, and, and kind of kind of be yeah, a new kid yeah. on the block. That's and, cool. and they're able to actually uh, you know report uh, in a very journalistic fashion because they're they're young and they're you know they have that. Individual. And it's good so, news. Like yeah, I go there. <laughs> to those sites just read legit news. Well, it's like watching news from twenty years ago. It's like whoa, this you know people can still do this in this day and age. They're not. Yeah. It's, it'd be all going be
0: I think I think you know in terms of uh, in terms of news I, th- I think there is hope in the in the horizon because there is a market for people who want the truth um, and 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 it's shown through vice news you know vice is a billion dollar company um, yeah. and, and that's now it's not and that's not by accident people actually want to know the truth so yeah. so yeah I, I feel like VR I mean, it, it's, it will just be another way to show you the truth. Um. It's a powerful
1: medium, and it can show you you know inner truths or art, more artistic truths, just like film. I mean, film. The thing about yeah. film is a very powerful medium. You watch it in a giant dark room, and you have these epiphanies, just like the one you had in Titans of Space. You, you know, you, you have those those deep thoughts when you're watching a film. It's just, it's the same kind of thing when you're when you're immersed. When you feel like you're somewhere else, that's when you can have deep thoughts. You can re- reanalyze your life uh, and and kind of, you know, y- you can change, I guess, uh, is the best way
0: to describe it. Is, is VR going to bring the deathbed to the television? Or or will television evolve along with virtual reality? What what do you uh, guys think? I think television is I mean, I think the, the
1: internet is, is the death of television. The internet is the new television. television oh, yeah. This is yeah. It's, it's almost... Ridiculous. I mean, television
2: in terms of the technology, not television in terms of the content. Oh, the content is great. Yeah, yeah but yeah. just the 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 technology we use to enjoy that content is
1: changing rapidly. Yeah, people like looking at moving images on screens. That's <laughs> not going anywhere for a long time. Right. <laughs> and uh, television just being one one way of doing that. So well, you know, it's going people said that television was going to be the death of radio. Um and yeah, radio you know,
2: still great. is still around and radio is yeah. evolving. I mean, I mean, look what we're doing right now, like podcasting.
1: It's yeah. a form of radio. It's a and it's a new generation. Yeah, and even and even live and live regular radio is still a fantastic medium. It it's is still a way of of just tuning into the zeitgeist. You know, I mean, if something's going down, you turn on the radio. Yeah, and, and you can just get right wired right into it. Yeah, but crazy. the radio was like Twitter before Twitter. You
2: know? <laughs> <laughs>
1: that's <laughs> interesting, Bob. Yeah.
2: I like that. Point. Yeah. Huh.
1: But yeah, it'll be interesting to
2: see what VR brings to the table later on. I mean, we're we're still barely scratching the surface in terms of the type of content that we could have. Yeah. Um, but you know, in the next five, ten years, as we get a better, stronger grasp of what content is becoming uh, conventional and what genres tend to start to emerge for this new technology, um, that's when we're going to really be able to analyze it in a cultural sense and really see where it can take
3: us.
0: Speaking of the merge, like just merging technologies with virtual reality, in you know, in the future, what do you guys think you know will be uh, a ubiquitous a ubiquitous virtual reality I, I think it might a 3d printers might be one of those things uh, that will go great along a VR headset um, uh, mm. I, I'm, not, I don't, yeah. I'm not sure what else maybe biometric uh, measuring uh, devices that will somehow you know tie in with your virtual reality experience but you
1: can tell so the only way to tell when something is going to explode and be ubiquitous is when it's really it's cheap it's easy to use. Uh, you know, uh, that's when it can kind of be everywhere, and so, you know, with 3D printers, they will not be everywhere until they're easy to use. They're getting they're getting closer. I mean, we have one in our office,
2: um, but it, I mean, it was a big investment, and it breaks down a lot, and mm-hmm. it can only do a
1: certain number of things. So it's not like the replicator that we imagined from Star Trek, but it is very, very cool and very and, useful. And if people had, you know, if there's a mechanic shop every few blocks where you can go take your 3D printer there and get it fixed, get it serviced you know if there's a if just like movies or cars if there's a whole infrastructure in place for something right you can make it ubiquitous yeah i mean cars are very complicated machines yeah and the only the only way that we've been
2: able to use cars in a ubiquitous way is because we ha- we have mechanic shops sure. everywhere
1: and there's all kinds of information about them and you could and understand how to fix them yourself cars yeah. are still damn impressive too i mean yeah. literally you know you fill it up up, turn the key and drive it, and you pretty much can drive that stupid thing after refilling the gas for a good, you know, what thirty thousand miles before it'll break down, before you absolutely need to change the oil or you absolutely need to do something. Yeah,
0: it's maybe, maybe longer. So
1: cars are just incredible machines that we've been working on for a hundred years. Um, so you know, it, it takes a lot of power. Um, well, like I said, we're making something that you can mass manufacture cheap. Uh, you know, you can make that make that ubiquitous. Whether or not people use
2: it is another story. Right. But, you know, given enough time, there could be a large infrastructure in place uh, that accompanies virtual reality where you could have all kinds of things. Oh, maybe. Like haptics, or, you know, haptics are a big thing I'm always thinking about. Um, It's not really near, um, it's it's not really at that point where it's, uh, I guess, uh, commercializable. What's the word? Commercially viable? Uh, Well, haptics, I can't really commercialize it yet because it's a bit. You know, it's a bit complicated. There's different types of haptics. There's not really a very strong language. There's There's been no haptic breakthrough. I mean, at the end of the day, we're
1: able to simulate vision with, I would say, 90% accuracy, you know, with with the head-mounted display compared to the real world or something like that. Audio is near 100%. Near 100% audio with headphones. (laughs) But with haptics, it's like 2%, right? And you can't simulate you know, weights, you can't simulate uh, pushback, uh, all pressure, like, pressure, all these haptic things. Or texture, like, and the big thing is
2: texture. Like, I was reading about, uh, I have no idea what team is doing this, so don't quote me on this, but I was reading somewhere about a technology that would allow you to, um, essentially, you would feel like a, an object, like a ball or something like that, and using electricity and electrodes, it would actually change the
3: texture that you're feeling on the material. Hmm. So you could feel like...
2: It could feel like uh, corduroy or it could feel it could like feel rough or it could feel smooth or it could feel rough or smooth or yeah. you know or it feels like tweed or it feels like paper or
1: whatever banana it bumps that five percent up to like ten percent you know right. But now you got to have, like, force feedback, and you got to have all these other types of things. Yes, I mean, show me a virtual reality simulation where you can lean up against a virtual wall that's generic, that's not actually someone placing a wall there, mm-hmm. and I'll give you a million, or, you know, I'll give you a billion dollars. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, there's just fundamental... A billion dollars in monopoly money. <laughs> you know, haptic technology that's just not... That's, that's, that's just a harder problem to solve than the other ones. I mean, frankly, I think the fact that we have screens at all that can show us things is... is Magic. Uh, yeah. So just some. We have some magic, and we have. We don't have other. You know, we have. We have a defense against the dark arts, but we don't have potions or something. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. other things might come down the road, but yes.
0: Yeah. Yeah. We're we're headed. Where we're headed, we we will need magic. Um. So, yeah. do you think? Uh, you, you know, I look at the different peripherals and input devices. I, it, I'm, I'm personally not satisfied. I, I as as amazing as the stem system looks and the pre OVR and the accomplishments that they've had. Perhaps my expectations are a bit too high, but I, I want the haptic lo- glove from Ready Player One to be here now. But I in, see. in your mind, in your mind, what do you guys think is the is the ideal? Um, perhaps way to interact with virtual reality.
1: Well, I think gloves, gloves are tough um, just because they're, they're not... It's hard to make gloves that are one-size-fits-all. And from sweat, an ergonomic perspective, they get sweaty. They get sweaty. Mm. Well, I you know, there's, there's a lot of
2: interesting things to think about. I mean, I, I'd like to hear what... If, if you could clarify, just because it would help, help me visualize it more. Um, what do you think are the biggest uh, sort of drawbacks to existing motion controls?
0: I think that... There is still a disconnect uh, in my mind, in my brain, that I'm holding a controller here. Right, I mean, right. I might be inside somewhere, but I, I, I still feel like I'm, I'm, I, I'm. There's a, a plastic thing that I'm using to interact with the computer world, and I feel like immersive VR, true immersive VR, uh, needs to get rid of, you know, because again, it's, it's a layer of, right, right. of immersion that I think can be torn down eventually. Um
2: well, what if uh, the ability to track your individual fingers, like each of your digits. Mm-hmm. So, like, what if you maybe you weren't holding on to something? Yeah. But you could see all your fingers moving separately in VR, and you weren't holding on to anything. Um, and basically, it's just higher fidelity, and so you could see your hand, and you with that be another
0: step forward? I think so. I I think being able to yeah, being able to see my hand and move it around uh, would and and move it and and perhaps grab a cup and be like, oh I'm holding a cup in front of me with this. Well so there's the the
1: problem is not the moving your fingers. I mean that was obviously solved with the power glove and then the problem is the the holding the cup. So Uh, something like ready player one They have this magical 90% haptic thing that we have not discovered that makes you feel like you're holding a cup. So because we don't have that, you can have a glove that has full finger sensing. Then you have no idea what the hell to do with your fingers. Mm -hmm. And none of the interactions you're doing with your fingers, you pick up a gun. It's going to be like everything's going to be
2: like lifting air. Like if I pick up a virtual object, even if I have like a perfect hand representation and everything's tracked perfectly, um, even with the motion tracking, if you're picking up a a, a water bottle or something, Mm -hmm. it has no weight Mm -hmm. and it has no, it has no pushback Mm -hmm. against your fingers. Mm -hmm. Then there's a limitation there and it's never going to be the ideal. So, So thinking like there's different ways, like I've heard of technologies that would have like, um, a certain kind of metal that would be in a glove. Um, that would have like metal strips down your fingers and the metal could solidify or liquefy at will with electricity. Um, It sounds like magic, but um, I think there was some team at MIT working on something like this. I'd have to do my research. I'm terrible terrible at references. People were working on (laughs) on magic. (laughs) There is magic that's happening Um, in terms of haptic gloves and getting that force feedback. um, Another issue is weight. I don't think you're ever gonna be able to simulate weight properly you can you can simulate gravity mm-hmm. with with uh galvanic vestibular stimulation so you can change your own sensation of balance and your own sensation of gravity but in terms in terms of the gravity and the weight
1: of another object, like I have no idea where where we could start with that. But. Mm-hmm. Right, and it's it's one of those things where controllers have been, uh, you know, they've been around for so long because they actually do simulate grabbing something. You simulate grabbing a controller. Right, and, and, and as, as shitty as that sounds, <laughs> but, uh, it's a fairly generic device that can simulate the interaction with many types of objects. E- exactly. So. Uh you know, that's kind of, um, you know, the, the, between the glove and the controller is some sort of holy grail uh, interface. I'm not going to speculate as to what that is because let's just say I can't say anything. <laughs> uh, we are working
0: on something. Oh, yeah. man. All right. I, 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 I like that. I got a little something, some. Okay. Uh, s- yeah. So, pass. just, again, thinking about pie in the sky, madness, uh, follow me down the rabbit hole. Uh, after gloves or after whatever we have now or will will have in you know for the next 20, 10 20 years uh, you know what 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 about the idea um, cuz the other day i was writing uh, you know i was writing for my blog and and, and I, I realized that the keyboard is uh, terribly cumbersome it's it's so you know I, I have these thoughts running through my head and i can't and my my hands can't catch can't chuck- up exactly what if yeah. i mean i mean what if 2040 2050 were able to transmit our thoughts directly through our VR headset, like dragon dictation, like, you know, but instead it'll read your mind. Is that insane or is that, you know, something? I I think
1: it sounds possible. I mean, it sounds logical. I mean, you're about to make, you know, (laughs) sounds with your mouth that represent language, language that you've learned, those sounds going to your mouth are represented by electrical signals interpreted, you know, to quote Morpheus, interpreted by your brain. <laughs> and uh, if there's a way to, you know, crack that code of those electrical signals, if they're not, you know, person-specific, maybe even they are person-specific and it learns from you how to interpret those electrical signals. Like a lot of electrical devices of today, Myo, for example, has to learn from your very specific electrical signature and then it's able to interpret what you're doing from that. So if you had a device like that that could learn and could essentially capture, those electrical signals before they go to the part of your brain or spinal cord where they end up you know going out to your body it captures those but learns from you what you're doing um i mean that's one way of doing it from a linguistic standpoint but i mean i would imagine everyone, it's, it's probably
2: going to sound like well it's I mean, probably gonna be a lot like like uh, voice recognition systems where you know the computer is recognizing that you're saying
1: something but you're just going to be like spilling out a bunch of random bullshit so <laughs> doesn't make any sense. yeah i mean it basically your mind, like, you can think or any other language thoughts in your mind and they're different than feelings or they the different than other types of thoughts they're specific like you, know, you can say things to yourself in your mind i'm pretty sure that that is linked in your mind to how you actually talk and it's like one step removed from that so if there's a way to hook into that of course this is probably something that requires brain surgery to actually get in there, but uh, theoretically, you know, that's the problem, is that you only, by shaving your head and putting electrodes on your head, you can only get so far. Well, there is consumer EEG devices that you can put on the
2: outside of your your scouts. Well, you can read your brain waves. Yeah, you read brain it, waves, and there is some latency to it as well. That's why you haven't seen a whole lot of gaming applications using them yet. But, like,
1: for example, Neurosky or the Emotive headset, those are two good examples. So, I, I personally haven't been very impressed with, with that technology. Uh, you know, I, I think if there's, uh, not those companies in particular, this is great, but in general, the, the ability to, I mean, I think to a, read and use brain waves, uh, you know, it, yeah. it has not, it's not as, a, yeah, I always have a big picture of it when I put, try it, it's like, okay, yeah. Well, mm-hmm. but the, well, the same uh, could be said could be said about any emerging technology
2: like
3: it's a leap and uh, yeah. from what it was
2: before but it's never going to quite reach like the fantasy expectation that we all have
1: yeah but yeah. Uh, but basically the ability to to get to those electrical signals without surgery uh somehow i don't know once again someone inventing some sort of magic to do that so getting those electrical signals perhaps a turn- wi-fi
0: chip inside your brain
2: Basically. Well, I, mean, I definitely want the NSA reading all my thoughts. Yeah. Oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> that's, my, that's my number one goal. When can, ever, when can they know my thoughts? Well, the thing it is, sucks. if that chip transmits, um, it, it
3: will give you cancer. It will give you cancer, I can
1: guarantee
0: that. Oh, snaps. Yeah, that sucks. Yeah, it yeah. does. No. Uh, <laughs> I don't want that. Well, I mean,
1: cancer. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, there's electromagnetic radiation that does exist. It's just very, yep. very minimal. Um, but it chip directly in your brain is constantly transmitting. That is not good. Well, Um, scratch
0: that. All right.
1: (laughs) I I can see that. I guess what I'm trying to say is I'm trying to connect the dots from Mm -hmm. the the, the somewhat limited, somewhat not limited, you know, understanding of technology that I have, uh, misconceptions I'm sure are in there. I'm trying to connect the dots to see if that's possible within my lifetime. And I have to say the answer is yes. I mean, there's, uh, there's already I mean experiments where people are, able, who are who are blind are able to see in some way because they're able to interpret light and, and then push it to their retinas in a way that their retinas are still able to see um, uh, because people who are blind are not actually entirely blind. Little things like that. Same thing with hearing. Hearing is the same exact way. Um, there's uh, lots of crazy shit coming down the pipe. Whether it gets consumerized, I don't know. That's a different st- you know, story.
3: Totally out there and totally maybe off topic, but were, I remember when we were talking about doing like olfactory senses. Oh, yeah. You know, yes. we, original, we had a
2: smell-based system. We had a smell-based system we were going to use with the original Project Holodex setup, it, yeah. um, which is totally another category outside of haptics and outside of visuals and audio. Because smell has a unique ability to trigger emotions and, and memories much faster than any photograph or any music you may hear um and pretty much with any other sense like smell can be instant that's why you know cologne or perfume if you like you know a former lover you smell a perfume said, somewhere best, and you're like oh my god a the best, of memories the best implementation
1: of smell ever besides in food is scratch and sniff right <laughs> i miss scratch and sniff. Scratch, and sniff I yeah. scratch and sniff is pretty rad i gotta say lovely you a scratch and sniff snicker when you when you did well on a test and that was like that broke all of the. Economists typically say that if you give rewards for things, it, as opposed to intrinsic value, it's not—it's not very useful. Uh, people, you know, get over it. The only—the only, the only uh, exception is scratch and snip stickers. Those are those will just, you know. I don't right, right. What you're to thought, but those will be able to incentivize me well, to do anything. You give me those <laughs> stickers and I'll jump up a <laughs> <laughs> well, run. I remember there was this thing called
2: like, uh, oh, what was it called? They had it at the MXR lab. It literally had cartridges of different chemicals. They'll combine in like eighty different ways to create eighty different like scents
3: or That's smells. So cool. And you could trigger them through a computer, so through mm-hmm. a game engine. And so theoretically, like we we're thinking like we could have like smell of like fire
2: or a smell of any like any like flowers. Like we had this idea like in the game Wild Skies, where like all of a sudden you'd smell flowers and then like this crazy boss fight happens where this like really like crazy badass ninja chick shows up with all these swords and she has
0: like a perfume. And every time you smell her perfume, you know, she's going to be showing up soon. You have to Whoa. battle or something like that. Yeah, like a smell motif. Uh, like a smell motif Whoa.
2: instead of like a visual motif or an audio motif. You guys are going to cause uh,
0: some Pavlovian uh, trauma <laughs> to people. <laughs> right, right. I mean,
2: I think it'd be pretty interesting to see where that could go in terms of game mechanics. But of course that, that ended up being a bit too, uh, let's just call it out of scope. <laughs> yeah.
3: For now, but not certainly not possible in the
0: long run. Speaking no, of well. s- of scope, what about voice recognition in virtual reality? What about the ability to talk just like you talk to your Xbox with your Kinect Two? Will, will be able to? Will I be able to navigate virtual world with my voice? Is that is that something I, that?
1: I want to say I want to say just because I worked <clears throat> with voice recognition, um, and, and the part the stuff I worked with was pretty damn easy to get working for anyone's voice to recognize certain phrases. I want to say the answer is yes, especially because you have a head mount and a headset on already. So you're already like so. The Xbox and the Kinect has a, 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 a four-microphone like kind of triangulation system that it uses to filter things out and connect with your voice. For some reason, the damn thing still doesn't work very well. Hmm. Um, I mean, it works okay, but it's not it's not that hard, kind of solution. But first of all, I, I think people. Most people only use those a little bit. They're kind of too nervous to use them in, in, in public.
2: Well, you know, like, kind of, I might be considered, like, old and crotchety in, in 50 years when the technology is ubiquitous, but right now I tend to feel like saying things like, okay, glass, or Xbox on, or mm-hmm. just, like, shit like that.
1: It's really... I don't know, it's very disconnected. the human element. I don't like it at all. Yeah, it's really odd. It's very odd talking to a computer. Maybe everyone's going to be talking to computers in the future, and we're going to be the generation that says, that's weird. But at the same time, I think it's pretty weird. Yeah, it's it's just hard to do the mental (laughs) process of like, I don't know, there's no, you know when you're talking to someone, you're kind of in the moment. There's no moment when you're talking to a computer. It's very, very weird. Yeah. yeah, so it, it's just like response to your commands, but it's not a conversation. And you're not sure what it, you're not, you know, also too, there's a problem of feedback. There's not a lot of, when you're talking to someone, you're getting very consistent uh, visual feedback about how they're understanding you. There's lots of very subtle cues they're giving you. And you're giving them as hours they're watching through Skype, you know, it's it's blinking, it's moving, you know, body <laughs> facial expressions, like, not facial expressions, all these things. So, that, computers need to have that kind of very dynamic Feedback uh, that allows you to kind of uh, meter or, or modulate your uh, the way you're talking. we we'll see vocal
2: know. inflections work too. Like if you look at that new movie coming out with uh, was it Joaquin Phoenix called Her? Yeah, yeah. Where man. he falls in love with an operating system. A very sexy, operating A very, system. very sexy Scarlett Johansson yeah. operating system. <laughs> uh, but an operating system nonetheless that. Has no face. There is no expressions. There is no visual cues. It's just purely auditory. But the voice is so the voice is so so human that expressive that you can have a very
1: um you know nuanced relationship. Yeah, my computer has Scarlett Johansson's sexy voice, and it sounded like a real person on the other end. I would totally voice recognition. You know, voice chat would be perfectly fine. Right. Then you could. I mean, it it would make a lot more sense. um, Yeah.
2: Yeah. It'd be more natural instead of like talking at an Xbox and. like accidentally turning off whenever you say something but it's it's
0: it's gonna be yeah it's gonna be very interesting because here we are a generation um that you know we know what the last generation dealt with in terms of you know um uh, their issue was interracial interracial marriage or interracial couples was a big thing like that was a big di- you know dialectic you know in the last generations in this generation right. it's it's gay marriage i i think that by the time you and i uh, and us our, our grandparents our our grandchildren you know the the, the dialectic that we'll have to uh, solve and work out will be can we bury machines yes Stop having sex with that robot. (laughs) How dare you? (laughs) Grandpa, but I love her. No, it's a robot.
1: Yes, I think you should be able to marry androids or robots. Okay. Well, marriage, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, marriage is is two things. It's a legal contract, which doesn't really make any sense, where you combine your assets. And then the other part of it is a social contract, Mm -hmm. where you say you're committed to this person, and then you kind of have underlying things under that. So I don't see why either of those couldn't be done to anyone or anything i mean they're just contracts right if i have a contract with my dog that i'm going to feed him and take him out for walks pretty much I, we didn't put it in writing but you know it, it's not uh they're just contracts like anything else they're important contracts no yeah. Doubt, yeah. but it's still the whole concept of marriage seems like a uh, somewhat not outdated but it's very useful in one of the bedrocks of society but it, the, the structure that it has is very old and <clears throat> Should probably be updated or modified. Uh, there should be, I think there should be something called a friend, uh, what is it, a friend marriage or like a friend social contract. <laughs> friends, oftentimes, do you ever have a really good friend but then you start losing touch with them and you can't quite articulate that you miss them and you want them to be around more, where's that friend contract that says, okay, you're one of my best friends, I need you to just, uh, like, sign this or whatever? Like, we're friends now, okay? If you don't come over on Saturday,
0: i'm gonna be really pissed off problem. i'm gonna sue <laughs> you doesn't <laughs> like that right, right. exists like um, we need to get a friend divorce <laughs> <laughs> no,
1: that's, true. They're, they're just, that's 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 basically just marriage Same the same, right. same concept you concept to with so that's I, so funny I, so yeah i think the concept of marriage i think it is you know interracial marriage yes or no the gay marriage yes or no it's going to be like marriage yes or no in the future. You, you, oh that's
0: interesting and so on the
1: more foundational,
0: I guess. Yeah, on, on the bright side, uh, sex with machines and, and marriage with robots will help solve overpopulation, so... You know. uh, so
1: overpopulation's already, in, oh. in, in advanced societies, it's basically solving itself. Yeah, I think, which, I think yeah. Japan's growth is going to stop pretty soon, and Japan's growth rate has stopped. Yeah. So it's ne- negative now. Again. But I, I am curious to see what that's going to... Like. If, we, if we
2: ever, you know, I don't know how soon we're going to have anthropomorphic uh, human like robots, but I mean, it'll, have, be it'll be interesting to see how they integrate with society because a lot of people are going to think that obviously it's going to be the same old thing. It's going to be like history repeating itself. It's like, do they have rights? Do they not have rights? Are they just very, very powerful, very realistic caricatures of a human being or are they human course. beings? Yeah, I think they're I I mean Are we all robots now
1: because we just implanted all this shit in our brain? I don't know. I mean, it seems to me that society, rights are based on intelligence. If they found a monkey who was so smart that he was like, building a society somewhere, you couldn't just go shoot that monkey and the same rights to animals would apply to him. Right. So, you know, it,
0: it seems that we have an implicit idea, idea already
1: to build up rights into intelligence. So I'm pretty sure if there was a pretty intelligent, you know, something that's artificial that that, that, that happened or came into existence or what have you, it, from a pretty implicit standpoint, the same rights apply to human beings would be apply Right. right,
0: right. We, I, I immediately think when we're having this conversation, I immediately think of the Animatrix, um, and that yeah, uh, immediately, yeah. and I'm thinking about holy shit, we're talking about the Sen- the second Renaissance, that that one animated oh, short. Yeah. Uh, this is uh this is surreal because it's g- relevant. It's weird. It's it's science fiction, but it's relevant to us because you know the future's right around the corner.
1: We need to answer these are questions science fiction and authors have been trying to answer for a long time, and I think they're 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 fascinating philosophical questions. They're Star Trek questions. They're, they're Twilight Zone questions. Uh, you know, they're they're uh, Bedrock kind of questions about the nature of man. And uh, yeah, you know, I think figuring them out before robots are here and talking to us and alive and
0: saying I need rights. Yeah, exactly. Like you have to figure it out before I pass rights for you a while back and you're good. And then you're like you're good, dog and they're like, oh okay. <laughs> either they either they will either will they either they'll ask, hey I, I need rights, or they will uh, get their rights. I just I was just reading an article today this the US military, the US Army is a, it wants to uh, cut uh, wants to seventy they want twenty five percent of their Fighting force, they want it to be robots um, by wow. by a certain uh, year. Sure. That's sure. Yeah. that's insane. Well, that's, well, I think that's awesome. First of all, U.S. Army to do some. They're trying to do some cool things. They used to be old and stodgy. Well, I mean, the less human death that occurs, I think, the better. Well, uh, see, there's the key. So, but then like, again, the, like,
1: concept, the less fighting, the better too. Precisely. The concept of rights is based on the concept that the only sentient, really intelligent being that exists is a human being. That has never not been the case. And I guarantee you, if there were a bunch of other species that were as smart as humans, but completely different, Mm -hmm. that that rights as they exist today might not be this universal concept that we have. There's some giant, crazy, terrifying squid things that live on the other side of the world that just came and attacked us all the time. I don't think we, regardless of how intelligent they were, we wouldn't give a fuck about them. You know? So I don't. So these are questions. These are fundamental, like kind of. Alien questions, great science fiction questions that don't have you know simple answers. Yeah, but it'd be, it'd be
2: interesting if there's you know on like on foot warfare with on foot robots that
1: whether it's just, yeah I mean whether it's just like it'd be like Terminators running around and I think I think for the problem is <laughs> computer science from a computer science and an engineering standpoint you know getting bipedal stuff
0: it's just very very hard. Well, they have those those what are those quadro pods or the four legged Yeah they they got that, that running cat fast. shit yeah holy fuck Yeah
1: I mean, they're, they're cool but they you know they, they they flip over and then they can't get back up and No they can get back up and all a they, they can run they can run and carry
2: shit with it. You know, they have on certain types of training. And then they can have like mounted machine
0: guns. That's what it's I'm thinking. They should be like running and shooting and everything. <laughs> because, awesome. uh, again, this is, <laughs> this, this is the military <laughs> industrial complex we're talking about. This is a $600 billion industry. And there's, right. there's money for this thing. And, and mind you, technology grows exponentially. I think I think that uh, robots are the nuclear weapons of the 21st century because you know n- you know 1945 the US had the nuclear, yeah. the nuclear bomb no one was going to touch us now we have robots who the fuck is going to touch us you know hey wow. the, the, hey Nicaragua don't mess around we're going to send the robots and we're like oh shit well, hey. drones, yeah. Drugs. Yeah, I think mean, I think it's just you know people who who, who press the button
1: to create, you know to kill someone they're getting further and further away I mean, from the person they're generally desensitized.
2: Yeah, and that's a fundamental, uh, you know, problem of society. I mean, back in the day, when you had to fight hand-to-hand combat, and you had to kill each other with, you know, swords or axes or samurai swords or whatever,
1: there was, you know, a certain, you were very intimate. Well, there's nobility in that. If you watch the, uh, the first five minutes of Game of Thrones... Where um, uh, let's uh, you know Ned Stark, Stark. kills yeah. a guy himself with his own hands and tells his son this is how it has to be done. This is our society. Right. There's a very important concept there where you're not removing uh, once again with Stephen Covey and the stick. You're you know you're not um, you're not separating the the action from the consequence. Right. You're not just pressing problem. a button and then you know two a, a you know, you know, yeah eight thousand miles away a drone is killing. Yeah. Because every time a drone strikes something, for the most most cases. Civilians are killed. I mean, people, people's we- You know, there's a, there's weddings. Uh, there, people are being massacred at at their own wedding. Mm-hmm. You know, kids are getting killed. Mm-hmm. It's ridiculous. And it's, for what? That's I mean, absolutely I mean, insane. Yeah, I mean, what you know, what are these
2: in, in the grand scheme of things like? And, and those are robots. robots. No.
0: and and right. here's the, and here's the problem I think that already Americans are all of us we're disconnected with war we, you know we so only right. a, a small percentage of us actually deal with the pain of war and having someone go to war so right. so imagine imagine all of a sudden that that fear is gone, that pain is gone, and now you know. We, what about the rest of the world you know what about you know what are they going to do we, when when all of a sudden we have we have we give zero fucks about you know going to war with yeah. someone else because we can just send robots on well,
1: in. hopefully yeah, information shit. technology is <clears throat> all about
0: connecting those dots mm-hmm. but I mean, the, 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 the sad truth of it is the reason we're at war is because of energy
1: uh, you know oil and other other energy reserves strategic resources i mean it's yeah. the same reason why I there's war in the 19th century for coal there's it's, always an ulterior amount of well, but that's, that's the funny thing about war is really that's just the motive. It's really right there. It's just, uh, when I say resources, I also mean money and people. And, you know, anyone goes to war for the same reason because they think they can come out richer when they come out of it. Mm-hmm. And, and any nation in the entire world. Which is very sad, bad, but. Well, but the, the sad thing is, of course, energy is what powers technology. Energy is what all this, and then what they would say in the Joe Rogan podcast, I forget if Duncan Trussel might have said this, but. Someone, control. someone said this once. Uh, all this stuff that we're making, I think it was him. It all comes out of the ground, you know. It, all this stuff needs to be mined. We need to mine all of the elements to make that iPhone, that new piece of technology. So all right. of these things are connected. And there's laborers that are putting these devices together. Yeah. Factories. Well, yeah. I mean, that, that's the thing. It's, it's there's it's always there's always a Human suffering that. connected to a lot of these things, and so right. it's uh, it's hard to it's hard to disconnect a lot of that. Um, I would hope that. You know, in, in the future, in a smarter society, we're not going to war with other countries. We're not fighting other countries because of energy. You know, hopefully there's some way we can. I don't know. I mean, I, I think a much. Mobility or something or shared energy. Yeah, I mean, energy it, is a problem. It's a legitimate problem. Mm-hmm. It is. It is, and
2: you know, even scarier, I think, is maybe not scarier, but a more immediate issue that's going to be coming up is is actually on our own soil, where. You know, we have drones that are monitoring our streets and highways yeah. and have the agency to kill um, a, a human being. I think that's something that is going to happen mm-hmm. in the future. And also the fact that we have, you know, a government that can mm-hmm. basically hold our entire life's
1: data uh, and well, I think, do whatever they want. With it. I, I think, think the, data, the data thing is going to happen. That's the future. Uh, everyone's data everywhere all the time. I do agree with that. The drone, strategic I, assassinations. I mean, well, you, you can hot, ha- you can, you can car hack someone's
2: car. And in fact, I've, I've read stories about this where you know some journalist goes too far down a rabbit hole,
3: mm-hmm. and you know a, the government has the technological
1: capability, to, if it's a new car, to hack his car and basically put
2: uh his his car on full gas and just drive him into a wall yeah, yeah so that's something that i forget the exact story if you could pull it up but uh um, what's the name yeah, that's right. the one. Yep. and then that should happen and then all of a sudden you know uh, within a few days it's dead silence on in the media about about what really well, happened I think and it's just a dead story but like you think like that stuff's happening now like all the crazy cyberpunk dystopia shit that we've been reading about and thinking about for decades, since the 80s, like,
1: or even before that. It's, that is already happening It's now. starting to bubble up, but I'm, I'm pretty optimistic, though. I think uh, there's a lot of people out there who are connected to a lot of information, and, uh, you know, this might sound weird, but there's still a lot of, there's still plenty of rednecks with guns who, for better or for worse, will, you know, there's a lot of people who would hold out. If there were drones flying around the United States, who are armed, mm-hmm. I guarantee you there would be almost like new age militias started up that, that just vow to shoot every single drone they see out of the sky. See, so. now that, I think that's
2: a very interesting point.
3: Mm-hmm. Um,
2: there is, you know, parts of our culture that, like you said, for better or for worse, are more prone to the aggression in, and in, in, in that case, it's definitely. And I'm bad. not going to say any geographies, <laughs> of you're saying, but I will say that there are people in the United States that are more aggressive and impulsive than others. If, and they will rise up in a conflict, uh, which I guess um, in this particular case, if we had drones that are taking over the world, and you're absolutely right, I'm sure there would be a militias popping I up. I fucking buy
1: a gun. The problem is, you know, in civilized society, we're too plugged into the system, you know.
0: Right. Uh, because because yeah. the, the whole th- the problem, I mean, it's it's crazy because the what when you hit you hit the nail on the head earlier it's it's about information and, and the internet and and we need to protect this thing called the internet because this is our this is our river and inf- river of of information, and we are seeing all around the world that you know places like Egypt and and right now in Ukraine, the, the governments are, are 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 you know damming up this river. Um, and 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 yeah. I think information is is a raw material and necessary to the function of a, of a of a of a of a happy and prosperous society. You know, if it wasn't for the freedom of information that we have, we would be North Korea. And because yeah, yeah. it's. It's yeah, it's true. it's crazy. I think that you know my 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 fear and uh, I don't know uh, is getting drone striked and and then being erased from the internet as if I never existed.
1: Well, yeah, uh, I, I don't see that. I mean, honestly, I'm uh, I don't think that's going to happen. I, I think it totally. Happen. I think trying to trying to stop the internet is trying to like stop the uh, you know, what is the Mississippi River with a bunch of paper towels. <laughs> uh, I just don't think. Well, maybe not totally erased, but. There, there could be enough modification going on where it would just be, you know, too difficult to follow the story and figure out what really happens. Yeah. So people just wouldn't even try. I think when you, when you have 20, you know, 20 people in a radius outside the drone strike, you see what happened. We'll all have, you know, cell phone cameras. Uh, you know, I see it being completely the opposite. I, I think, you know, you talk about drone strikes today, but there's been... Millions of horrific things that have happened unjustly to people throughout human history, and drone strikes are not. I see those things as being as as going down over time uh, in, in in the general case, and so I, I'm very. Uh, very firm in my belief in the positivity and the progress in the
0: future. I, 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 I I'm I'm naturally optimistic, but at the same time we're talking about the same government that used to slash Martin oh, Luther King's oh. tires, the same government Red. that gave children Guatemala syphilis well, he, in nineteen fifty four. Yeah. So not to cut but just just be
1: careful because the more if you if you worry too much and you're too cynical at a certain point, you realize you're 40 years old, your kids are doing something, you know, there's some new form of entertainment your kids are doing in the living room that you're not sure about. Um, <laughs> for Amazon, I and see, gross, so you don't, yeah. you don't want, you know, you're not sure about phones are coming And you realize that you're old and curmudgeonly, and it's too, you're too old to be able to kind of, you have to, you know, to be able to adopt to the new ways of thinking, and, and, and you know, you fall into the same trap that, that. that People, you know, your, the previous generations falling into so that's interesting. Like, it's you know, that's a really interesting. Thought. There's a lot of things to worry about, but you know, and I look at it from a statistical standpoint. I look at it you know, through the whole human history, things are pretty fucking good if you compare them to 100 years ago. I agree. And I think they're, they're going to get a lot better.
0: Yeah, I, I think that you're 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 right, and thank you for bringing that up. I think that you know, in my from my personal view, yes, I'm aware of the fucked up shit that is happening because I I need to be grounded in reality to have a valuable Both view of the world right. but at the same time information is double-edged sword, yes. is
1: a double-edged sword. Yeah. you're aware of every, all the, the things happening
0: all the terrible things that are happening yep. across the world uh, because you can be aware so it, it's difficult it's difficult yep. to, to live or die by every yep. human tragedy. but at the same time i don't shut down you know i I, right. I think that it's it's important for us to adapt to move forward with with progress because i think if you try to fight progress you're just going to get left behind um oh, and, yeah. and so this is what you do you 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 move along you adapt and you you try to ride this river and see if you can find a small niche to to channel your creativity and yourself through um but yeah 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 i think uh it's uh, yeah this is this is yeah, this has been a fascinating conversation i did yeah, not I think, think we've
1: gotten pretty it's easier. a brave new world yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: climb out of this uh, insane rabbit hole have <laughs> Let's, let's. Um, well, well, let's, uh, you know, just very quickly, I'm sure you guys are, are, are running short on time. Let's, uh, you know, what what's up with uh, Servios in the future? What can people look forward to? Anything you want to add? Um, I don't know how much detail we
2: can go into yet, but we're definitely... Um... In a very short order, we're going to be expanding our team pretty rapidly, and we're going to be putting up a lot of videos and content on our website, and expanding our website, um, probably close to the middle of this year, Um, and eventually, you know, I would would look for, uh, you know, some very interesting full motion VR applications and content that we're working on. I think it's going to be pretty cool. Yeah, just get ready for some some kick-ass products uh, coming in the future, kick-ass products and projects. And zombies lots of zombies. I know everyone's doing zombies these days, but I swear to God, uh, everyone loves them and you can't get enough. So I think, uh, there are zombies are the best. (laughs) (laughs) They are pretty, they are, they are very uh, detailed, but I will say that, um, I mean, we're working on a lot of different game demos and we're trying to try a lot of different content for different demographics. Um, you know, uh, not just like hyper action, violent shooters. Like we want to explore other cool stuff too. Um, but I don't know, like right now we're very much in a process of exploration and discovery and just trying to learn like what, what we can do with this technology and where we think it's going to go. And it's really infinite possibilities. So we're doing a whole lot of
1: experimentation, yeah. but, but yeah, so I mean, definitely keep, keep your ears peeled for as from us soon. Yeah. A lot of fun stuff going. Just yeah.
0: I'm so and excited.
1: Some stuff going on with Sixth Sense too. So it's going to be pretty cool.
0: I, I'm, I'm truly really excited for this i, I you know just if i could hi, if i can under the table sort of you know drop this on you guys like you know perhaps perhaps dinosaurs could be something later on that might because I, I i that would be fucking awesome Dude, uh,
1: velociraptors jurassic park in virtual reality I the dinosaur hunter was my big uh interactive dinosaur thing that was when it was yeah. like jurassic park and raptors coming around here but you actually had to like Take your gun out and, you know, figure out a way to kill the velociraptors charging it. I never so, played that. Uh, Torque was a great game way back in the day. I mean, yeah, N64. N64? Okay. Yeah, I really I was a PlayStation 1 guy. Yeah, this is uh, yeah, way we,
0: back when. Yeah, we can that's... go off on the PlayStation N64 <laughs> conversation for hours. <laughs> oh, Gentlemen, God. it's been Thank a pleasure. You. Thank you so much for your time. Yeah, Nathan okay. Burba, James Eliff. Um, yeah. Dude, thank you. <laughs> yeah,
2: absolutely. Thanks for having us on your podcast, man. It's fun. Yeah, thanks. It was a really, really great conversation. This was
3: a blast.
0: Awesome. Looking forward to the next time we do this.
3: Yeah, absolutely.